Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. All I was going to say, <laughs> Jesus Christ, was uh, C-SPAN, watch C-SPAN, because you will never suffer from the mythology that uh, your Congress people are leaders or exceptional people or exceptional intellects of any kind. Or the oh, voter, other voters, if you watch a Washington Journal, when they call yeah, it in the Here's my question on the Republican <laughs> line. Um, I know t- 10 Jews in my town. <laughs> I think they're Rothschilds, and I don't know what they're up to. The weather machine. Does, uh, <laughs> does Chuck Schumer, who is also a Jew, know about this? <laughs> but honestly, if you watch, if you watch like, like any... Literally the most anti-Semitic show on television, the Washington Journal. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your almost weekly. No, I didn't stutter. Still almost weekly. Rhetorical assault on the news cycle. The people that wake it. Well, the people that make it. I suppose the people woke that people it. that wake it. We're drinking already. <laughs> <laughs> and the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do all sorts of fantastic and very interesting and important things at Freethink. I'm also running way behind on this project, which I totally have to get done. And I'm really sorry, Rob. I'm going to work on it. Uh, I'm delighted to be here, though. We've been off for a couple of weeks. I'm yeah. delighted to also be joined by a couple of people. I will say that one Matt Welch, editor-at-large, Reason Magazine. Uh, well, he's at large in France somewhere. What a, I don't oh, know what a sellout. What he's doing. A couple of weeks off is not enough for somebody with a French wife. They think they have yeah. all of July and August. I know. Unbelievable. He's gonna, and he's going to probably go on strike in August. Just to be <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, as, you, as you can tell, I'm joined by Michael Moynihan, that wonderful, lovable fellow. Did you say Michael from, Moynihan? I said Michael Moynihan. Oh, I think you said a hand. Then would you like to be Michael Moynihan? I don't Moynihan? know. Rewind that shit back, podcast <laughs> listeners. Run that back. Moynihan, yeah. Michael Moynihan, who does all yeah. kinds of important things, but he's a national correspondent for HBO's Vice News tonight. Um, he also had a piece yesterday about a I Russian did. people who like Russians, which maybe you'll talk about. <laughs> by, by Anthony the way, Fisher. The Russian people are American. <laughs> American <laughs> historians <laughs> who like Russians. Kind, kind, kind of the hook Russians there. Like <laughs> um, and uh, Anthony Fisher, who is. Uh, I keep forgetting your position. You do. Every week you forget. Well, it's only twice now that I've forgotten. Senior editor at the week. That's right. Well, it's still kind of new. It's newish. Yeah. But. Well, you're a senior editor. Yeah. I'm, I shouldn't forget on, that. Man. You're right. Yeah. But maybe it's a, I want you to have an even more important title, like owner. We're going to work on that. Oh, good. Well, you don't own them. <laughs> I won't say it. <laughs> um, and we are joined by yes. guest. I guess Papillon Susu. Who doesn't need an introduction because his name is already up there in the banner of yes. the uh, podcast Papillon Susu. <laughs> but it's the notorious B-E-N, wow. Ben Dominich, yeah. publisher of The Federalist, host of The Federalist Radio Hour, and writes for something called The Transom, which is mm-hmm. presumably some sort of Putin-loving newsletter. It's my daily newsletter, yes. yeah. That you send out because Vladimir Putin informed I did today. Must. I will say, I admit that I opened today by saying I did not think that what happened in the last week would matter. Oh, yeah. yes. We got to talk about yeah, what happened ready. in the last week. Yeah. You gotta, um, by, by the way, you got to pay, um, you know, let's let's give, uh, Ben came up here, right? He, he came did. up here, took an Uber and all that stuff. Let's promote his stuff a little more. One does have to pay for the transom. Yes, the transom is a subscription product, which I have been writing now for for almost a decade. Uh, the Federalist will turn five in uh, September. And mm. um, how much does one have to pay to get your it's your it's daily free for the, It's free for the first week, and then it's thirty bucks for the year. And That's we have bad. and we have thousands and thousands of loyal subscribers, including about half 
of the 2016 Republican field, uh, none of them who ended up being the nominee. Oh, great. So, <laughs> the nominee. I, 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 I can attest to somebody who used to, you know, uh, daily writing used to be my thing. Uh, whenever I was linked in the transom, it definitely uh, helped my traffic. Yeah. Huh. I do appreciate well, it. I'll Thank tell you me. what, I'm this person. I'm one of those awful people that just, you know, economics, it makes sense to me when I write about it and I think about it, but in daily life, it doesn't. So I will be upset about having to pay for an app it's like two dollars, and they'll be like, "Oh, screw that! It's not free." And then I'll go buy like an almond milk latte that's seven, and I'll like, spill almond it. Milk? It's only I'll, almond milk yeah. for a little bit longer. And, I, and, I, and I'll spill it on the ground, and I'll be like, yeah, "Whatever, it's just fucking coffee." <laughs> and then I won't buy the two dollar app. So people, you know, what they used to do with uh, who was the woman from All in the Family that had all the starving kids? Sally Struthers. <laughs> Sally Struthers. I don't know she, yes, Miss Struthers. I don't know if she owned the kids, but she was always selling them on TV, <laughs> and it was like for a pace of a cup of coffee, which then was actually pretty inexpensive. Now, like a cup of coffee every day, that's like a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's like literally it's like six bucks a day said, times thirty. I mean, for a pack on. of coffee, uh, for a uh, for a pack for. Uh, for a cup of coffee and a pack of cigarettes, yes. you're like, Jesus, that's like bigger than a daily budget. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to frame and do that sort of thing for Ben Donich's uh, transit. The $30 a year, right? What would that be for a stick of, you know, fruit stripe? They still have fruit stripe? Fruit stripe is a great gum. It's a fantastic gum. One, one, one a month and you could have the transit. Yeah, also one Detroit hand. And, and if, yeah. I, if I, since, since, since we, we, we can't, these are losing, comparisons. Losing Subscribers right now. We can't promote Ben enough. He's actually a CBS News contributor. Mm. And so of, of oh, us all, yeah. you, Camille has actually been a contributor to a major news yeah. network. But yeah. uh, that's, huh. that's, a, that's a BFD. And, yeah. uh, Thank you. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, did, it did mean I got to spend uh, uh, election night up until 4 a.m. with Peggy Noonan. Ah, watch, yes. Watching together. Sexy. As, so sexy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So and she bloop, and bloop, Donald bloop. Trump comes comes out onto the onto the stage. And Getting I, and sexier. I, and I turned to her and I said. He looks afraid. <laughs> she, said, she said he does, doesn't he? Oh, that I, is very potent analysis. Yeah. I, I spent it's no white night. lash, but it's pretty close. I just so, wanted, I spent election night. Um, there no cameras, no nothing with Bob Schieffer. Um, just in my hotel room, and he's an old friend. Mm. And is he still alive? By yes. the way? Yes. <laughs> not after that night. I saw him a week ago. So All right, I don't know. Maybe, he's, maybe he's he was. He was actually the. Sa- I was. I was working at CBS when he was the yeah. anchor. He was the savior after the Dan Rather implosion, yep. and, they, and they couldn't figure out who to make the new anchor. And there were a lot of heirs apparent. But Bob Schieffer jumped in and was totally humble about it, and the ratings went up. Yeah. Can I? Can I? This is this is the point in the program. If the, you, we've been off for a couple weeks, you listeners, loyal listeners, you might have forgotten. This is the part of the program. We talk about nonsense. <laughs> this is the ass grab. Although the, yeah. we didn't, we didn't uh, start the clock, so I don't know how long. Oh we've been shit! Going. Let me start the clock. Um, I know it's like I'm playing so chess with Gary Kasparov in, in the forest. We've only been grab asking um, for uh, for five seconds. Am I wrong, uh-huh. ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that um, there was a film made by people in Hollywood, which is a town on the west coast of this country, about how Dan Rather was fucked over Mm -hmm. for being... You know, conned by somebody sending him a word file. Yes, right. That he that they pretended was saying. How does that work? Because I never saw this film. And what is the premise? Because around the same time, this is like talk about fake news. Around the same time, there was a uh, feature film about the greatness of Gary Webb. Mm-hmm. Remember Gary Webb? The uh, the uh, um, was it Sacramento Bee? Was that where he's? No, he wasn't the Sacramento Bee. He was um, uh, San Jose Mercury News, where he was yeah. writing about the yeah. the crack and contract, which is blown up yeah, by yeah, everyone, yeah. Inc- mainstream people. Not it was not like David Horowitz in his mm-hmm. basement. The New York Times uh, rebutted it. Uh, L A L A Times, etc. And they made a film about how, how he was a hero. He ultimately that killed, killed, killed himself. the messenger. 
Uh, yeah, killed the killed messenger. messenger yes. yeah. And uh, and the person who killed the messenger, by the way, was Carrie Webb himself because he committed suicide. Sorry to say, but um, isn't the name of that movie you're talking about Truth? It is. Oh, true. Yeah, and yes, Robert exactly. and Robert Redford played Dan yes. Rather. Yes, I didn't see it because nobody <laughs> saw it. Uh, but I but I can tell you that that it, that movie came into my mind recently yeah. because just last week the uh, Columbia Journalism Review had a pretty sycophantic interview with Dan Rather. Yeah, where the where when they broached the subject of that led to his end the end of his career at CBS News. Mm -hmm. Basically, they never. They never challenged him on using as the basis of his story these really easily provably fake documents. Sure. Um, but what they did do was give him ample opportunity to explain why it didn't matter. No, that speaks to a larger truth. Yeah, yep. exactly. The, the story was yep. true, period. He says so, and it was totally unfair, and it was a right-wing conspiracy, and a cowardly, uh, co the, his corporate masters were cowards for yeah. not letting him run this story which that is, was based on is, fake documents. Which yeah. is essentially the same argument that you heard from Rolling Stone. Mm. You know, this, mm. this, well, this one instance may be made up and may be just a total fanciful creation by this woman on campus, but it speaks to the sure. larger truth of the dangers yeah. of fraternities and da, yeah. da, 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 da. and of course Sabrina Erdley, who the one who wrote that story. And by the way, has anyone heard from her? She's she's kind of gone. Uh, mm -mm. She's the Molly Norris of, of of journalists. She's just not she's not anywhere to be found. But yeah, she she was out there fishing for for the most extreme university. She wasn't trying to sort of blindly pick something. And uh, when she didn't find it, you have to sort of create it, right? And you also find that with people that are kind of imbued with the sense of you know the kind of race class gender, the triumvirate from university, and they come out into the real world and they say, oh, it's really not that bad. I mean, I was expecting that I was going to walk into like Orville Faubusville <laughs> and that everyone would be really upset, you know, it, but it doesn't happen. In, in her case, I don't think she, she made start, it up. You start creating it. She, she, she did. She, she, she fell for it. She, exactly. And, yeah. and, and, and the reason she fell for it is because in her mind, it would have been wrong, insensitive, yes. problematic, all these things to... Uh, yeah. Question any of the details. So Camille's telling us to reel it in, but fi some fi final point is that why the question that I ask myself is why did the student use that as a thing that would get her attention? Because she knew that it would, and nobody would would bat an eye, and she would be heroic, and she would be on the you know the Rolling Stone. When I'm making my anyway. hand gestures instead of yelling at you, you don't have to tell everybody. They can't. See yeah, it. no, I, I tell everyone because it's fucking obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, dude. And you know what? Honestly, it is a window into our world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. The, the bony finger of indignation <laughs> across the desk. I was making a fishing reel gesture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's actually yeah, pretty. So subtle. we did. We do have a little bit of housekeeping though. Um, we've been off for a few weeks. I think the last time we were in this room, like. Together, well, no, I you mean, and I, you and I were here. We did that thing with Ken White uh, and Ken White Damon and Root. Damon Root by by a remote. But I mean, even before that, our last Some sort of news right of there. the week, <laughs> our last news of the week dispatch was a couple of weeks back. I mean, LeBron was still a, a Cavalier. In fact, I think that's right. I think we um, we watched a little NBA after that. But uh, we do have a few things that I wanted to get out of the way quickly. Um, back around Father's Day, which was some time back for real, uh, a woman named Lisa Gaffney, who's a listener to this program, sent me um, what appear to be some handmade custom key rings uh, for Father's Day, which have my daughter's name engraved on them. That's very nice. And some other things. It was, it was a right. really thoughtful gift. I appreciate it. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to, uh, to thank you previously, but I have them here in front of me. Very nice. Uh, it, apparently, Lisa, and we don't really do ads and plugs, but if you send me nice things, I'll probably say the name yeah. of your thing, but Heart and Soul Design, and soul with an S-O-L. Lisa, I'm sorry to inform you that you've spelt soul wrong. <laughs> it's, it's not S-O-L, yeah. Yeah. but... Folks, Heart and Soul Designs, Lisa Gaffney, 
she will. Uh, they are in. This. They're in the building. Yeah. By the way, you have them with you. I do. To show every. I do to so, show to show everyone. Thank you, Lisa, Lisa Lynette very, Emerson Foster. Very nice. Um, and yesterday was my wife's birthday, so happy birthday, Tracy. And mm-hmm. apparently today is Anthony Fisher, so happy birthday. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. My happy two birthday. my two yeah. wives. Yeah. Very grateful for both of you. Yeah. Only um, one of and only one of whom listens to the <laughs> only one of whom I've ever consummated the relationship with. Yeah, way to should, go, you should, you should talk to Tracy. One day we'll out. find we'll find Leah's real dad. Um, I, I will say that I did take my wife on a date yesterday. Oh dear, we went to go see um, that movie with The Rock pretending to be an amputee, which is yes. disgraceful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. They should only cast real amputees exactly. in films to pretend to be amputees. Yeah. This is going to keep him from being president. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable, but. <laughs> I think the quality of his last film, which yeah. is, I don't even know the name of this movie. Building, can, can Ben, building ben climber. sent this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, called? muscular, legless building climber. <laughs> um, he has one leg. Yeah, I mean, that's actually the translation. It sounds better in the original term. Muscular hopper. <laughs> yeah. so you know ben, what's funny? He his, his leg comes off a bunch of times. You know what he doesn't do? What? Hop. Oh, I, I, I thought you were going to say complain. Never. <laughs> he also doesn't uh, complain. Yeah, of course. He does use he a lot of complain. duct tape. Yeah, he does use a lot of duct so tape. So Ben sent this story around that some uh, he was getting uh, a little bit of stick for this from somebody who's famous, right? Yeah, so just I never some, heard of the person. Some woman who I have not heard of, but who is an, an, uh, a Paralympian, I guess. Oh. Uh, and uh, she was very offended that... Uh, that The Rock was playing someone who was differently abled, I mm, yeah. I'd say. Uh, and, mm. um, and the, the whole point is, you know, what, what do you think, if the standard really is now, yeah. you have to be that thing yeah, in order thing. to play the thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. First off, this, sure. this totally goes against the entire point of acting. But it's also something that how many Paralympians could open a blockbuster movie that cost God knows how many million well, you're, dollars. You're underscoring the real yeah. problem yeah. here. Yes. It's not fair. It's yeah. not, yeah. It's not, not fair. fair. We should feel you bad. You should try. You should yeah. try to, to make a $70 million uh, budget film with a random <laughs> Olympian. So, and just like... Or use the so, best yeah. Paralympian. So, so I, I, was in, I, uh, I was in Aspen for the Ideas Festival. Oh, here we go. And <laughs> oh, are you going to transfer away from the? No, 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 no. This is the same. <laughs> okay. So okay. I was He's there. He's to tell you and, that he was an. Ava DuVernay, who was the director of The Wrinkle mm. in Time, was there. Yes. Oh god. And she made she also directed the Thirteenth. Yes. Terrible. Yeah. So she made a comment from the stage. Now I don't know if you if you like The Wrinkle in Time, but I loved The Wrinkle in Time. It. it was one of my no, I mean the book. Oh, the book. I, it was one of my favorite books that had like a, a, it was a good strong book. female heroine and all sorts of interesting sci-fi. I didn't stuff. even realize that was the case. And and so so um. She made a comment from the stage that when she was making the movie, I just wanted to see a little black girl fly. Now, in the book, the girl is white. <laughs> I don't really care that she made the girl black in the movie, but in the book, she doesn't fly. Like, <laughs> like that's a different yeah. she story. She metaphorically. She meant it metaphorically. And so the point I is, if, if all of these movies just become about Because no one casting. can fly. <laughs> yeah, well, no one can fly. Here's the thing. <laughs> Ava, love you. You're very talented. No one can fly. I think she meant it yeah. metaphorically. But, but the whole point just but, sort of be, But it's also gross. But if, if the new rule is, you know, you have to be a trans person to play a trans person. You have to have a disability to play a disabled person. You, you have to fit these various forms. Yeah. 
gosh, I mean, it, it's going to be, we're going to see a lot of really bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you mentioned like Tom, you have to have AIDS to play the character that Tom Hanks <laughs> played in Philadelphia. Oh my oh, God. I know it sounds rough, but that's now, where we're headed. Actually, now. that's <laughs> yeah. true. Now. Taking it now. to its logical. Well, I don't, I Maybe he did. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't speak to any of those things, but I will say the reason I went to see this awful film, and it is pretty awful. It's not very good. It's at least not good if yeah. it's not awful. Is because my wife's bags are prominently featured in this film. Ah, if you go see this oh, film, wow. the bag that he is carrying in the beginning of the movie, which actually features prominently in the film because at some point someone steals his bag and he says, oh my God, that's my bag. Yeah. And it's my wife's bag. Yeah. So the yeah, whole first awesome. 15 minutes, her bags are featured prominently in, yes. the, uh, in the film. Well, your you're devotion, never saying the damn devotion, brand. The capitalism very, very, and promotion yeah. there is, is Well, I mean, I, I tell the story just because I took my wife to the movies. And yeah. uh, by the way, Jumanji was great. So if you do want to see a good <laughs> well, movie. Well, Tracy's bags were uh, in that movie. Yeah, so they were, actually. They were in Jumanji. Yeah, I wish. You didn't, you didn't know that? No. Oh, we, we Tracy and I talked about it yesterday. <laughs> oh, and We were yeah. texting. Are like, you Leah's daddy? Um, <laughs> let's not talk about but that. We, let's, let's finish this segment before <laughs> and then we can have this drink. Well, but on this subject, oh, right? Okay. Because, because we have the... Um, uh, let me use my favorite portmanteau of all time, ScarJo, <laughs> who's apparently some actress. Uh -huh. um, you know, she was uh, she was playing uh, what a trans person. She's playing uh, she, a trans person who yeah. was transitioning to male. I yes, believe. yes. So that seems like she's hmm. still. A, I don't know. I don't want to say anything because I'll probably get arrested and, and fined. Mm -hmm. But but uh, this reminded me. I know. I know. I'm worried actually that that in the future everything's gonna be super sensitive and they're gonna come back for you. Huh. And like people get mad that like I used to pretend that my dog was like a service dog to <laughs> bring it into the grocery store. Like you mean you can, like time travel back? Yeah. Well, no. They just find out. Like somebody be like, I remember that guy. Like you know, if you were a baseball player. Yeah. Like I could I'd bring it into the restaurant and be like, no, no, no. It's it's a service dog. Because yeah. like, we do know that time travel doesn't exist because no one showed up in 1985 to shoot George Lucas in the head. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. A hot, that is... a hot take from Ben Donovan. I mean, really? Stuff you won't find at the transom. If you... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it might be like a combination of Demolition Man and Minority Report where yeah. we have, like, they bust you for wrong future think. Yeah. Like, if they think... Yeah, if you're gonna think yeah. something problematic... I, I just wanna... Be, the problematic... This is a lot of... This is the problematic of, bit of what Ben said is that he was gonna go back in time shoot a director and it wasn't Roman Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're, okay, you're right, objectively you're right, you're pro right, uh, right. sexual yeah. assault. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So, so, right. so uh, we, NBD? We, we, we touched on Scar, Joe. Do we want to touch on this baseball player? Uh, can I, can I uh, pre preview some of the other serious things that we're going to talk about? Because we were supposed we're so to talk about... I know. We're so deep into this, Read but we were going to talk about the Russia thing and yeah. the yeah. Russia thing, which, this, you know, this, it's not this, a big deal. The fake news media and this Russia But that's a more serious thing. We'll get to that. So we'll get to that. But right. on, on this front, I just want to recommend that everybody read, and she's now transitioned from an absolutely brilliant novelist. And I've I had, don't know if you can I've use transition the, in that context. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll find out. Mm. Um, and I've had the, the um, great pleasure of meeting her on one occasion. Um, is Lionel Shriver. Oh, the great, uh, we need to talk about Kevin, uh, Mandibles, and everything. And she's now writing a column for The Spectator in the UK, which is a fantastic column, and she's just punching people in the face all the time. Does not give a mm -hmm. who. No, she's great. Because of the kids in the car. Um, yeah, she's fantastic, but she was the one, she kind of outed herself when she said, if I were to only write about the things that I am, you'd be um, writing, I'd be writing novels about bored middle-aged women who are like married and living in Manhattan, which is not, you know, it's not a big palette. 
And then, of course, she did this thing in Australia where she she put a sombrero on during her speech. And she was, um, you know, like clockwork, ritually denounced two days later in The Guardian for, for having done so. But uh, she's been fantastic on this issue of what it means to be a novelist. I mean, you should imagine telling a... Zora Neale Hurston, or imagine telling any sort of black writer of the past hundred years, do not try to inhabit this white character's space you don't understand. Mm. So she, I mean, that would be pretty, I would, I would wretch at the idea of that. She talked about it, this actually, uh, recently when I, I interviewed her for an hour on the Federalist Radio Hour. People can look at you it. You did? It's, yes. It's, How did I miss that? It is, it's, it's, not as, it's not as fun of a podcast as the fifth oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I told but, you about but, the but, I listen but, all the time. But, uh, you have a great but, radio. But, uh, thank you. But uh, one of the things I have to recommend to you is if you look at nothing else, if you just kind of want an entry to Lionel Shriver as opposed to picking up one of these novels, uh, in her latest, her latest collection is a collection of short stories called Property. Yes. Uh, and there's one short story in there that is uh, about the TSA called chapstick and it is excellent it is the most sort of it it actually manages to wring some sort of emotional resonance out of the frustration that we have all felt at some point while standing in line it's really good so check it out and the thing about uh lionel shriver is she's not uh one of these people that you pretend to like her because her ideology matches with yours she's actually a brilliant novelist and i liked her before i knew what she believed about any of this Mm -hmm. stuff so anyway hi camille Hey, how you doing? Good. You impatient? No. I'm, what do you want to talk about? I'm fine talking about any of this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised no one mentioned the Barack Obama's speech in oh, well, South Africa wow. earlier this week. Wow. Why don't we then? Yeah. Well, just in the context of this conversation, because Good the president, speech. because the president echoed a similar sentiment. Yes. When he talked about people not being disqualified from having opinions on particular topics because they're the wrong color or gender or sex. Is you this, know what's amazing about this? Is which is which is a yeah. shocking revelatory yes. idea. But look, it's not shocking because it's Obama. I have a sense that he kind of believes this stuff. He said this stuff repeatedly. Before, yeah. He has. I think he's fairly uh, good on this stuff. And yeah. when, he's, wh- when, he's not, when he's not actually buying into the zeitgeist of the moment and saying, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. He's the president. Come I'm on. I'm just saying. Not anymore, he isn't. Yeah. But what, what, I, what I'm interested in is the fact that it was, it's Nelson Mandela's 100th birthday. Yep. Today. 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 Uh, same day as Anthony Fisher and Hunter Thompson. One right. is better if than he the other. were only half as brave as <laughs> yeah. if, if he was only half as brave as Anthony. If Fisher. only we could put Anthony Fisher on Robin <laughs> Island. <laughs> Sorry, we can hey cut. Nelson, you ever produce a podcast that's good? <laughs> we can, we can, cut, we can cut this out. Passed away. We can cut this out Sorry, in post. I thought it was amazing that he was in South Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And that, like, this is kind of apropos of nothing. Uh-huh. Why are you doing this in South Africa on Nelson Mandela's? That was kind of brass balled, right? It was like, mm. this is like, he was just, it seemed like he was kind of riffing. And yeah. this was kind of annoying to him. Mm. And he dropped it in. I thought it was, I thought it was a really but cool I, But I'm moment. confident some of that message was intended yeah. for that particular audience. Oh, yeah. South yeah, Africa sure. anybody knows having yes, their own very difficult. But he knows, he knows that that cuts race issues. Yeah. No, and he also talked about the, uh, what, the rise of uh, or the the what what did he what was the language that he used he said something um, about the, strong the strongman politics yeah. which yes. was coming which was uh rising that people had and he's also read about that too by the way yeah but, there's like a pretense of dem- democracy which these strong men uh, speak to and totally. i'm sure he was referring to donald trump of course uh, he's calibrated his you know victor orban uh, vladimir putin he's referring to a lot of people. does anybody yeah. know who his speechwriter is now 
Ooh. Yeah, because they all have podcasts of their own. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my point. They're not, they're not speechwriters. He's got, he's got new speechwriters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there just, any doubt that he could find very good speechwriters? Well, writers? no. It's, it's, what's interesting to me is that I think he's actually saying more interesting things now. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I yeah. say that as someone who never doubted. Uh, I mean, I was a speechwriter. I, I, uh, I was an intern in the White House speechwriting office under uh, Pete Weiner and, and Mike Gerson, uh, mm-hmm. both of whom disagree with me about everything. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I was a speechwriter for Tommy Thompson, uh, and then I was a speechwriter for John Cornyn for a couple of years. And so I'm always interested about that dynamic, those relationships between the principal and the frustrated principal who mm. is the speechwriter. Uh, and uh, the it's interesting to me because I think George W. Bush, and this is a point you made several episodes ago, I can't even remember how long ago, um, uh, about a speech that he gave that you said, oh, this is clearly Pete Wayner. And I'm I'm sure it was, you know, in terms of some of the language that he uses. I find Obama's language to be more interesting now than when a, when a lot of these guys were working for him. And I'm just kind of curious, hmm. who's the interesting person who's writing for him? But now? isn't it in some way, I mean, I this uh, this is all I can say, but it is something that's forthcoming from a long piece that I'm doing, which should be, I think, a half an hour. But I spent hmm. um, uh, a bit of time last, last week with Bob Corker and everyone saying, you know, oh, Bob Corker is kind of unchained now because he's not for re-election, okay, fair enough. Is not that not it? Is the fact that you know uh, Barack Obama is sure. done with elected office, and now he's like, you know what, fuck y'all. Because C- I have, I, he's like, you know, he signed that book contract. He was like eighty million dollars or something. Yeah, Netflix, Netflix deal. deal. Netflix deal. I mean, that guy is just like that. Is he's Dave Chappelle? You know, he's like eighty million dollars. He's like, you know what? I can tell you exactly oh, what I actually not, I really believe. Do not denigrate DC native Dave Chappelle. <laughs> no, okay. I, 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 I would never. Not but, nearly as brave as Dave. No, but like I, I would love to see. And this is never going to happen. This is one of those things that you convince the guy at the window at Ladbrokes in Belfast to take a bet on anything. I'm going to bet 48 million to one. Obama's just going to get red pilled and just say, you know what? Oh, God. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but he's going to come out and he's like, let me be clear. Uh, here's the thing. And like, I mean, he, he seems to be trending a little bit in that direction, tiny, tiny bit that I always, but, but to Camille's point, I think he's said a lot of these things before. And I don't think, I think he's generationally just different. Uh-huh. And it's just enough time for him to think a lot of this stuff is silly. I mean, you can be, I mean, so many of these old lefties, and you can see this especially in the feminism debate, mm-hmm. like first wave feminism versus now. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, look at, you know, even if it's like Susan Brown Miller or, or Jermaine Greer, sure. or all these people are like, what are these young people on about? They're mad. Sure, Ob- sure. Obama gave the same cons- commencement speech, I think five different times in 2016, and all touched on the themes of don't run away from opinions that bother you. Yes. Don't run, run no, no, away from true. ideas. He, he, he repeated it over and over again. Yeah, he very said that. It, it sounds it sound like Barry Weiss. He was specifically talking about all these kind of Milo mm-hmm. yeah. um, eruptions, a Milo eruption. He's but, but, also, but, also, but also even the even the concept <laughs> of retreating to safe spaces. Now, he, there might, he, there... he criticized that directly. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think those those are all good points. And, and uh, to your point, um, Moynihan, he has been on this for a very long time. It is yeah. precisely the reason why Jesse Jackson wanted to cut his balls off mm-hmm. um, when oh, he was yes. running for office. Yes. And he even made the snip sound when yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did. I want to cut his balls off. You remember, what, you remember what Jesse said, famously said, and got in trouble for? Something about right. grapes turning. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I promise I'm not going to do it. But I did listen to it the other day. <laughs> I was on the train <laughs> listening. Yeah, I went to it. I promise. It's okay. I promise. Because right. we're not going to get any booze, any crypto, <laughs> any medallions with your daughter's name on it. Send crypto. Um, send crypto. Um, no, he, he said this thing a long time ago, and it was uh, quoted by a number of people. 
Um, and he, he tried to walk it back later, and I can't remember who the interview was, maybe Larry King, and you have a computer, you can look it up, mm. where he said, I'm walking at night, and I hear footsteps behind me, I turn around, and it's a white man, and I feel, I feel yes. relieved, I think is what he said. And that was a moment for Jesse, people were like, excuse me? And um, he tried to walk it back, but I think it was 90... It was definitely during the Clinton years. Clinton years, 92, maybe. And mm. it's funny to think about how different the Clinton years were, was in that sense. I mean, like the culture war is very Well, and time. I mean, if Bill Clinton was in the United States Senate today, he'd be to Rob Portman's right. Oh, yeah, I mean, for, be, for sure. He'd be mm. sort of a mainstream Absolutely Republican right. yeah. in terms mm. of his... I, I, I just, the same piece that I was talking about this is going to be happening. I, had a, I, sat, I sat down for a raucous hour with Art Laffer, which, by the way... Oh, was, wow. Who is a very fun guy. He is so fun. He really? is... Uh, yeah, no, he's like... I mean, I disagree with him on a lot, and we huh. got heated, and he loved it. And it was, Did he draw the I napkin loved, for you? Yeah. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. That, he'll do the napkin if you ask. I, like, you know, he drew a napkin with like a middle finger. And he just, like, <laughs> it. We had a, a great thing, and he was, and he was like, I voted for Bill Clinton twice, and I like, and he went on this whole jag about how much he loved Bill Clinton. Hmm. And it was really interesting. I mean, we're not going to use it in the piece, so I can talk about it. But he, he was like, loves Bill Clinton. Huh? Yeah. But like, now Bill is completely. He cannot relate to the moment at all. He's no. Just like, God. I mean, the fact that he had the kind, of, he had the kind of experience with that. Me Too stuff that Jeb Bush had on the Iraq war question where it's like, dude, it's been so long. How did you not have an answer for yeah. this? Like, <laughs> like, did you not think anyone was going to Unlike ask? Jeb Bush, though, Bill Clinton was given several do-overs by yeah. high-profile people, including Ste Stephen, Stephen Colbert was yeah. like, Bill, yes. yeah. here's how to answer this question, question correctly, yeah. and he still couldn't do it. And previously given defenses by people like Gloria Steinem, Steinem contemporaneous with it happening. I have to say, Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush, loyal Transom subscriber, thank you, Jeb, for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> is Tim Miller a subscriber? Uh, I, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. How about Stephen Miller? I like, I like Tim Miller. Uh, I have a couple Stephen Millers, but I don't know if it's <laughs> But Jeb, Jeb and I actually go back and forth a good bit about uh, foreign policy stuff over the years, hmm. yeah. which kind of dovetails on the next thing that we need to, I think talk about. Uh, are you? The, you're. I mean, you're calling the shots. Well, I'm not, I don't mean to call the shots. Wow, just, call the shots. Just, wow. I, I feel like I, I mean, feel like this conversation. This conversation <laughs> yeah. about foreign talk policy. over the black huh. guy. <laughs> How many Hispanics? I'm sorry. It's actually the Puerto Rican guy talking over the black. So, guy. So, <laughs> it's so, like welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but as I was in, as I was informed after I was on uh, uh, Bill Maher, I am a white passing Puerto Rican. So that's right. Who told you that? Just some rando people. Oh, okay. oh that's good so, to know. Um, it's good to find that out, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Good. Um, it's nice for you. There's there's literally a street named after my family in the middle of San Juan, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the, yeah. the entire conversation that we've had about foreign policy has mm. been so skewed, and this is the one reason that I wish that Matt Welch was here because I would have liked to go back and forth with him on, on that, but that's okay. Yeah, we, could, the, we can badmouth him. The, if, so the, so I feel like we have experienced a moment that has more in common with Vietnam than we'd like to acknowledge, you can hear the music playing, which is around. which is that paint faded and painted black. Yeah, right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. There uh, must be some kind of way out of here. <laughs> or, for what it's worth, Buffalo Springfield. <laughs> so, so, so uh, you know that cut in Platoon <laughs> where they go from where they go from uh, uh, where they go from. Uh, White Rabbit to yeah. to oh, sure. uh, 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 Oki for you know, sure. anyway. Okay. So, anyway. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, la, la. oh, come on, <laughs> tower. So it's pretty good. So I'm I'm very good. I know you are. What uh, you know? What did Vietnam do to a generation? It taught them that you could not trust the elites. You could not trust the best and, and brightest. You could not trust uh, you know the sort of institutionalized foreign policy leadership. You're speaking uh, my language. Country. Yeah. I think that the American people have taken the exact same lesson from yeah. Iraq and Afghanistan in a way that people 
do not in our media sector want to talk about or grapple with. They just pretend like it didn't really happen mm. and that all these people who kind of roll out there and were presiding over these things still have the same faith and trust from people. Of yeah. course, people don't tr trust John Brennan. Of course, when you you roll out these kind of, uh, you know, this this guard of people who've presided over all of these mistakes, of course, the American people look at those people and they say, we don't trust you anymore. What what the American people want generally is de-escalation in, in relationships with all of these different factors around the world. And unless they hit us, we want de-escalation. But when you say American people, I, I know you're... I understand your yeah. politics. I know them, I think, pretty well. I know you don't really mean it in that way because there are some people amongst the American people who might have felt that way in the past sure. who feel a very different way now they perhaps because do. of the current guy who's in office. They absolutely do. I mean, I mean Trump, su been, Trump supporters are very is, skeptical of yes, power now. It is, it is completely you know, yeah. turned on a dime. But, but again, I think the problem is that we don't grapple with that. So when sure. Trump does what he did this week, which I think is frankly... What I dislike is the what I've always disliked is this moral equivalency game that yeah. that he plays, mm -hmm. um, which has always bothered me because there are all sorts of strategic arguments you can make sure. to say, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't let our kids die over Montenegro. Yeah. Maybe that's well, you know maybe there's not a strategic reason to do that." But that's an argument about American power and how mm -hmm. we exert it and how much we're willing to devote to a particular uh, uh, cause and moment and. That is a very different argument from saying, well, everybody does the same thing and we're all morally equivalent and everybody's just the same when, you know, that's that's not really the case. It is the case in the sense that Hillary Clinton absolutely did help foment, you know, protests in 2011 and, you know, the protests that Vladimir Putin resents her for and that kind of thing that did damage his party and his standing in Russia. The United States has done that kind of thing, you know, repeatedly. But there's not a moral equivalence there about you know, we haven't we haven't invaded Georgia. We haven't annexed Crimea. We haven't, you know, interv uh, you know, in, intervened in, in support of brutal regimes in, in Syria and support mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. terrible, you know, displacement regimes in Iran. We haven't brought down airliners. And, and by the way, never forget. And people often forget the curtain raiser of uh, Putin in 2000 was the, the second go around of Yeltsin of, just, yeah. of leveling Chechnya yeah. in the most brutal way and, 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 and installing one of the most brutal dictators in the Caucasus. But to your, to your point, I think it's it's absolutely right. I think that can, analogous can someone, to Vietnam. Am I a little uh, set up here, though? Because yeah, I, I think we sure. seamlessly transitioned. Sorry. And, and, yeah. and really, we, should, we should explain that yeah. Montenegro. Uh, yeah, but I like I you can transition here because I'm going to talk yeah. about that is that, you know, because the Montenegro and NATO expansion, not going to die for Tallinn or, you know, whoever it is, that resonates with basically 0.1% of the population. To your point, though, of that, you know, you know, people are annoyed, not at John Brennan, they don't know who he is, mm -hmm. but they're annoyed about Iraq, Afghanistan, et cetera. And like, whether or not these things are true or whether or not they should be annoyed about them, it's a different issue. I think they have every right to be annoyed about them. But it's amazing to me, and this is what gives people like Stephen F. Cohen, who I interviewed last week, um, this argument about, uh, you know, the, the whole Russia investigation is basically Democrats saying, we didn't really lose this election. It was these sort of you meddling kids in the Kremlin, right? It's like a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> but, you know, what is, what is actually the, the more interesting thing for me about that is that it is this old kind of Marxist concept and a concept created by Engels, and I talk about it quite a bit, of false consciousness, of that people just don't understand, right? I mean, that, like, the, the, the problem is, is not that we've done anything wrong. It's that they're being misled by fake news, that's being misled by Moscow, a troll factor 
country in St. Petersburg, they just don't get us. And if this they is, don't this get is what us, it's their, are saying it's their own Trump, damn Trump fault. Sure. And it's people that, well, I mean, if you don't look yourself in the mirror after that election and say, what the fuck did we do wrong here? As opposed to, hopefully they're doing this behind closed doors. Because publicly is this incessant and endless talk about the fact that Russia and all these people are manipulating us into false consciousness. It's, it's a variation of you know, false consciousness ended up to being a kind of lefty talking point with Thomas Frank's book. Mm. What's the matter with Kansas? I don't know. Where do you live, Tom? What's the matter? Like, well, they don't, they vote against their self-interest. How are you, who are you to say what their self-interest is? Their self-interest is what they are voting for. They're determining what it is right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that dri drives me crazy about this. And I think these guys like Stephen Cohen, who drives me absolutely batty, um, is right about this thing. And John Mersheimer, when I did this piece with them in the show this week, and both of them made this point over and over again, is this Russia thing, is there something to it? I, I don't know. I've been waiting and waiting to see, and there's not been a hell of a lot so far. And there might be these things in kind of micro levels. But on the bigger issue, this idea that Hillary Clinton was destroyed at the polls because of this sort of mustache-twisting people in the Lubyanka and in the Kremlin, I, I mean, it's excuse-making. Right. I mean, I'm uh, completely tired of it. I mean, it, it, there's, I mean, you, before you, you, you go, Fisher, yeah, let's put some walls around this quickly, please, just quickly. We don't um, believe in walls. I, I understand. And, and we're just going along and it's possible at this point that I maybe shouldn't do this. But last week we're, yeah. we're talking before, well, before the president went to Europe last week, he was going to Europe mm. and the big, all of it was a buildup to, to Putin. The fact that he was walking a little bit ahead of the queen and the, in the thing. And he very much made a, Alyssa Milano very sad, apparently, because he was, it was classless for him to do this. Who's the boss now? Um, Alyssa? Yeah, exactly. Right. Trump. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, from, from Tony Danza. That to Trump. was just a warm up. I mean, yeah, uh, but, on Friday of last week, we actually had the Mueller investigation. Um, uh, we had some revelations about, about the Mueller investigation, sure. that 12 Russians were being indicted for their role in the hacking of Hillary Clinton's email server. There was also some interesting commentary in there about someone who seems to be close to Trump or the presidency who might have been in communication with Guccifer. Um, I think we do know who it's that Roger person Stone. is. Yeah. He's, he's Roger said Stone. it himself. Yeah. And we'd seen, yeah, the, yeah. we'd seen the messages yeah. about that before, but this seemed like a big deal. The timing of this also was something of interest to a lot of people. And it was the timing that was of interest because everyone knew that on Monday of this week, President Trump would be meeting with Putin in Helsinki. Not just the timing, uh -huh. but Rod Rosenstein was the one that announced it. That's exactly right. right? Because he's gotten his ass kicked by Trump for a very long time uh -huh. and he's been taking it. And the fact Stand, that he was standing in the job, it's yep. very, very, it's, it's only the second time he's, he's even made public comment about mm -hmm. the investigation. Mm -hmm. So it was yeah. a very big deal. Yes. Good, good for him. Yeah. Now the Trump, I, I don't care. That's yeah. no, no, no I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it like, yeah. Ooh, ooh, I'm just yeah. saying, yeah. Like he's he's whatever ends up happening. He this guy appears to be playing the long game. He appears to be just you know doing the duty that he believes is is honest duty to the nation mm -hmm. and not serving any other. Message. And look, I mean, if this was specifically timed, who knows? I mean, we can presume that it was. Yeah. But I think I this would. is the one lesson that Trump is learning in his first two years in office is if you kick sand in people's faces, sometimes they they brush it off and kick it back. Mm -hmm. You know, going and you know first days in office and pissing on the intelligence 
intelligence agency. Guess what? Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's amazing that this great deal maker doesn't understand that annoying people, whether it be Theresa May or whether it be Angela Merkel or whether it be the intelligence agency Ros Rosenstein, like these people come back and they will they will get their revenge. Although it's it is of of interest that I believe either today or yesterday it was reported in Bloomberg yes. and CNN it also echoed the same that. Rosen, uh, that Rosen, sorry, Rosenberg, Rosenstein. Rosenstein. Sorry, a, that's literally sorry. anti-Semitic, dude. <laughs> Rosenstein. <laughs> Good God. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. yeah. Whatever. All right. Rosenstein so, and Gilded. Yeah. The names are all. There's so many so jokes confusing. that we can make at this. Yeah, point. and it's the alcohol. But at any rate, Rosenstein. The mic is back to Pat Buchanan. Yeah. Go ahead, <laughs> Rosenstein. Uh, Rosen- By the way, have you interviewed Pat? You had a great two-parter. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Great. yeah. <laughs> Rosenstein um, apparently asked for asked the Trump administration if they wanted to release this yeah. information before the Putin meeting or after the Putin meeting. Um, and Trump apparently, reportedly, according to Bloomberg, uh, was supportive of releasing this information beforehand. Now, there are conflicting reports out of the White House as to whether or not the president was bemoaning the fact that this information was coming out before his meeting or whether he was thrilled about it Opposite because he thought world. he might yeah. be able to use it yeah. with use it in order to leverage Putin in the meeting. Um, there are also a lot of different conflicting accounts of whether or not the president went off off script when he was having this press conference with Vladimir Putin, <laughs> during which during which he seemed to downplay the conclusions reached by <laughs> many seemed, members of the to. intelligence yeah, community yeah. with respect to Russia's culpability yeah. for this yeah. For this particular uh, election interference, so, so, so I, I I put all of that I put the the parameters up there, and we've already started to talk about this a little bit. But I'm interested in some specific questions which have been thrown out there quite a bit frequently. Mm-hmm. This question of treason, yes, for one, yeah. um, and the question, generally speaking, if any of you believe the president's walking back of the thing that he seemed <laughs> to say. So he, my frame for this is 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 very. Simple and maybe even simplistic, and so I apologize if you have a more complex and and uh, <laughs> uh, authoritative take on this. My view is simply this: uh, Donald Trump doesn't uh, have the capability mentally to separate the allegations of Russian meddling in uh-huh. the 2016 elections sure. from his involvement in said meddling. Hundred percent right. And uh-huh. and yeah. given his incapacity of of telling those two things apart, um, his natural tendency. When, especially when he's successful at something, is mm-hmm. to give no one credit for it except for himself. Yeah. Only, only I can do this thing. Only I can achieve this thing. And uh, so, in in a sense, if he were to acknowledge this mm-hmm. in a way, he'd be giving Putin credit for him winning an election yes. that he thinks is unfair. Is prof- like I won this my dang self. You know, I don't. I shouldn't have to apologize for that. I won it. The the other element of this that I think is so ludicrous is. These indictments of these Russians who live in Russia, they're the most toothless things ever. None of these people are ever going to be in a courtroom. I realize they're designed to send a message. And in this sense, I think they absolutely were designed to send a message to make this an issue in front of them. Um, And do I think that they're relevant to the conversation? Absolutely. They're relevant to the conversation about the the information that came out during the campaign. but specifically, the, point, specifically the emails, specifically the emails, though, I do want to clarify one thing. Uh-huh. I keep hearing this thing on TV and I've heard all these different cable news people say it, that 
you know, Donald Trump went out there and asked for the Russians to, you know, uh, hack Hillary's server. And that same day they same did day, it. Yeah. Okay. Sir, yeah, okay. That, was the argument. that is, that is incorrect. That's right. That server no longer existed at that point. And it hadn't existed for like a year and a half, I think actually at the point that he said it, uh, it was, you know, they started to delete things in late 2014. I think it was dead by early 2015. So the point being like that didn't exist anymore, but from my perspective, that is actually the way that Donald Trump colludes with people yeah. is that he goes out there and gives a massive public press conference because the guy does not do subtle. And he says, hey, you have a bunch of shit on this person. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry if you're it's listening okay. in the car. You have a bunch of crap on this person. Release all that crap. OK, please give us the crap. We want to see the crap. And that to me has always been sort of the real storyline of what's gone on here. And yes, you know, there's always Russians running around DC and, and you certainly yeah. know many of them. I do as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the, th that's just something that I think yeah. comes with the territory. No, I, I mean, it's, it's funny because it, in the actual press conference, you know, Putin standing to his left, the, the thing that proves your point um, or helps support your point is that there is a moment where I'm listening to this at work. I was like writing a script and I had my headphones on, 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 on you know, one window at the side of my computer. And I'm like paying attention to half of it. And the bit in which I was like, you know, turned my head and said, good God, was, was when Donald Trump was actually citing electoral college numbers, right? Do you remember this when he said, yes. I got, here's what I got and here's what <laughs> Hillary got. And it's like, wait, 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 we're in Helsinki. And we're talking about, you know, God knows what issues that they're actually meeting about. Mm -hmm. And he is. Look how big mine is. Yeah, he's, <laughs> you know, he's like adjudicating the, uh, the 2016 election in front of Putin, in front of the press corps and in front of the world. And it's, a, it's such a simplistic. I mean, so it's funny you say it's a simplistic, maybe it's a simplistic kind of way of looking at this. Is that, well, I mean, sometimes a simplistic man demands yeah, a simplistic sure. uh, explanation. He's a simple man. His, so father, I, his father never loved him. That that alone tells you more about yes, Donald Trump. Yeah, than Fred, Fred Tr it's Fred Trump's fault. <laughs> and, and, and at the end of this, it's like, you know, it's if if some of these people on cable news and, you know, writing editorials could actually just stop for a second, take a breath, and the number of people talking about treason, I mean, we went through this in the Bush years, right? Mm -hmm. we went through, not not like this. But particularly in 2002, 2003, yeah. 2003 I mean, here in New York, uh, in New York, the New York Post, remember that axis of weasels and like everyone mm -hmm. was a traitor, et cetera. And we're going a little hard at it these days. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump would be on the rack for me if I didn't get distracted by all these people hyperventilating about things. I mean, what do we, we want to execute him for treason? Good God. He is a, a dope who does not, he wants to impress Vladimir Putin. Uh -huh. and, and that's what you see when you see him. It's like, he doesn't want to offend him. So, I mean, to, but, to, <laughs> but to Ben's, but depends the earlier point, the the notion that Donald Trump can't disentangle these two specific mm -hmm. narratives, one being Absolutely that true. the Russians yeah. had in some way tried to influence the election, which they did, according to various intelligence yeah. folks. And according and to 100 the, years of history. And on the other, yes. and on yeah. the other side of the spectrum, yeah. the notion that Donald Trump himself was somehow colluding with the Russians as Anthony Fisher comes back in, he had to go, he had to take a potty break. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the, these two stories can't be disentangled. I mean, the, Dominant Trump critics can't seem to disentangle these stories either. For them, mm -hmm. every single time Trump says something that sounds defensive and that seems to dis dismiss the significance of the Russian hacking and meddling, and that's actually a separate thing, the significance of the Russian hacking and meddling. I don't even know that he's really tried to address that, but that's worth addressing on its own. But every single time he does that, they start to scream treason, 
oh my God, it's proof. What does Vladimir Putin have on Donald Trump? They seem just as a just as hysterical. Leon Panetta said that. the same thing today, didn't he? Like they must have something on him. No, I mean no. you're giving James, him far, James too, Comey far too much credit. Effectively, I mean, treason. You, if you're you don't not need to have a P tape on Donald oh. Trump to make him react the way that he reacted. I was gone for two minutes, but did we talk about Jonathan Chait's uh, piece? No, we didn't. Because, oh, the, the yeah, oh. because that was the labyrinth uh, uh-huh. of. Yeah. of, of where, where he he always where he mad out yeah he did he did mad out and he and he always was very careful to couch it in just asking questions here mm, there are yeah. always the, the, yeah. these, these little tangled threads and I don't know if it was his choice or his editor's choice to include actual you know like brackets of yeah of I mean come on and, as soon as you do that you have to get the Pepe <laughs> Silvia reference yeah, from always yeah, sunny yeah, it's yeah, just exactly. like don't do that uh, don't do that no <laughs> yeah. I, I can't believe they walked into that trap themselves yeah. and the thing is I honestly like. I don't, I'm not an expert on every single one of those tangled threads that they weaved, but I knew a lot of them and they weren't all wrong. You know, like a great, I mean, Donald Trump has had, you know, dealings with, uh, you know, mafioso figures from yeah. various countries and, and it went on and on and on. But where, where, where Chait, I feel like kind of, you know, stepped on the rake is when he was saying, is Trump going to be meeting with Putin as his handler? Yeah, that was yeah. just that, that's, that's where you I showed think your it's, cards. A, it's yeah. a fundamental misunderstanding of Donald <laughs> Trump, too, is that if you have things on Donald Trump, it better be a 4K, you know, yeah. video. Because otherwise he does not give a shit. Yeah. And this is I mean, look, the, the thing to actually point out is that uh, appearance uh, next to to uh, Putin um, in Helsinki was disgraceful. Oh, it was God. absolutely disgraceful. I mean, it was it was a it was a low moment for American foreign policy, for American diplomacy, and I my skin was crawling the whole time. And it's not like I remember not you like, to, you're not like Mr. Red, White, and Blue. It's, no, it's good God, that, <laughs> this is not you know proud to be American. Shoot a yeah. cannon off. I mean, it is just that it is just that like I I remember having the skin. Now crawling. you're gonna say a boot and just a yeah, but, you know, <laughs> but like, I kind of do anyway. Um, I remember um, uh, having the skin crawl during the George W. Bush years just because. Because the the you know just mumbling stumbling language mm-hmm. and good God this I'm like you can know. we can we but let's go back and sure. forth on this for a second. My view is that we've had I think the the smartest and the most successful president of my lifetime was Bill Clinton, um, and I think that the you the, would say that and the last yeah and the last two <laughs> presidencies I think had a kind of average but well meaning easily manipulated guy in the job who did a pretty bad job and then a smart, not easily manipulated guy who also did a bad job, different degrees of bad and in different areas. So Bill Clinton was the smart guy. I think he was the smart guy. And I just want to be sure you're writing off Donald Trump at this point. Well, but, but my point is, it's okay. I I think we're, I think we're sort of, uh, there are so many disasters that happened under these past two presidencies. Yeah. And they had all of these elites around them and they were supposed to be, you know, in in Bush's case, you know, yes, he was a scion of a political family, but he was also an extremely successful and popular governor. So it's like, oh, he's supposed to be an executive experience guy. Turns out that, you know, heck of a job, Brownie, he's willing to trust, you know, these absolute idiots, unqualified people to do terrible jobs, both domestically and in foreign policy. With Barack Obama, you know, it turns out he can't even, you know, his administration can't launch a freaking website and and they continue all of these terrible, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, droning policies, foreign policies that were uh, either uh, Bush things. And and frankly, you know, he 
completely caved in response to virtually everything that Putin did, you know, over the past several years. So I look at both of those presidencies and I see them as being, I see all three of these presidencies as being bad in different ways. And I guess the, the, the thing that I dislike is sort of this attitude that Trump simply because his rhetoric is worse, Mm -hmm. which is true and and is, does insult me as someone who cares about words, think they matter. Uh, that that somehow makes him clearly worse than both of them already. And yeah. I'm not sure that he is. I'm not sure. I mean, I think given at this point in the Bush presidency, yeah, you know, he's incredibly popular. Uh, we, we are, you know, uh, we're post the, the, you know, the, the nine 11, we're all gearing up to go and, and fight these wars all around the world. And you have these articles and these, and these pieces coming out by people close to the administration who are making the case that Saddam Hussein had something to do with nine 11. You know, and mm-hmm. and I look back at that now and I'm like, who the heck let these people, these crazy people close to this admin, you know, who who let them kind of convince and, and turn this ship of state right I mean, now? I, right, it's it, an, it was an yeah. argument at the time that was totally unnecessary because you had a number. Most liberals were on board, too. I mean, yeah. the New, New Republic was the house organ of the neoconservative. Let's invade Iraq faction. It was policy of the Clinton administration to regime change was the policy. 1998, the Iraq yeah. liberation. Yep. And, and yeah. everybody, yeah. everybody in the Democratic Party from John yeah. Kerry to Ted Kennedy, all of them were on board with it. And by the way, yeah. do do we need to reassess that? And do we need to just slap everybody around who mm. was part of that? Yeah, of course. But I think that there's a, a few things about this, that the rhetoric is especially bad now. And I agree. And one, you know, it's, it's all the Trump people that I talk to say, you know, don't look at the rhetoric, look at the results, et cetera. Um, I think this is a uniquely bad administration for a number of reasons. And, and one of the, the most recent ones, and because we're so obsessed with these, you know, like Potemkin uh, uh, meetings with Kim Jong-un, and more appropriately for that reference with um, Vladimir Putin, that we're taking our eye off the ball of the most destructive thing that is happening by this unbelievably imbecilic administration, and that's the trade policy that is fucking destroying the global economy. And by the way, if it goes forward, and we're seeing small indications of this now, we're seeing- And it's playing into China's hands. It's playing exactly into China's hands. I mean, I was I was, I was, was at a, a company, which I can't mention, because <laughs> it's coming out soon, but that essentially they were, they were losing, they were, lay, they were doing great, and they're laying off employees now because of the tariffs, and the product that they make is now going to be supplanted by Chinese product that's coming into the country and is not tariffed. And so there's a million examples like this, right? And we're going to see this, like, the, the economy, which, you know, is doing great. We have uh, essentially full employment. Eh, you know, wage growth is stagnant, et cetera. We Maybe all know that. had a little bit of a tick up. But yeah. A bit of a little tick up, but, yeah. no, but nothing yeah. significant. But at the same time is that we're going to see... If this trade policy, if the Peter Navarro uh, trade policy, uh, you know, goes forward, which it appears to be, and there were times with 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 Trump's rhetoric, and it was the fucking rhetoric that did it, was that that there was a, there was an exemption for our allies, for the EU, for Canada, and for Mexico on these tariffs. And they let the damn thing expire because Donald Trump was fulminating on the stump and said, this is the way it should be. Like, okay, let's do it. This is catastrophic. Just just one point that we should keep in mind very quickly about about China. For as much as we talk about Russian aggression, and certainly they have been aggressive, as I was talking about before, keep in mind that the Chinese... You know, beyond all the things that normally get talked about in public about mm. internet, about intellectual property and all these other yeah. things, they have 
the greatest and most successful hack of anything in terms of, of, of recent history. They have all of the information about everyone who had a top secret clearance in the, in the United States for a period of almost a decade, yeah. perhaps even more. Yeah. Okay. This is millions and millions of people, many of whom still work in government, including me. Okay. They have all of the information. Now, thankfully I did that survey when I was like 22 years old. So, you know, I didn't have time to screw up or anything like that. But the point, the point sort of being, they have all of that information. They have the ability to use it. They will make use of it at a point and time of their choosing. Mm. They are, they are acting in a, in a way that I think, you know, should be far more concerning than Absolutely any of right. these people who are 100% right. hair on fire about Russia. It's like, sure. you are ignoring a much bigger threat in terms of, I mean, my, my father-in-law's joke about Russia is that it's, you know, a gas station masquerading as a country. That's, yeah. that's a little bit of an ex of exaggeration, but still. Um, I know you read Masha Gessen's work. Uh, sure. she, she writes, she's a great writer on Russia, and she writes that it-, it Her brother isn't. Oh, basically, she's she's made the point often and, and she's a fierce critic of Putin and, and in a lot of ways a victim of Putin's. Mm -hmm. She 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 writes that she cannot believe this kind of mainstream center left idea coming out of the United States that Putin is this unbelievably brilliant tactician and oh, puppet it's the master. biggest propaganda yeah. win in the world. He's a, he's makes a, him look like a Bond villain. He's, makes a, him look he's, cool. he's a local thug who can barely keep away his own adversaries at home, even though he's got all the money in the country. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, we we are elevating him. To well, this. he's understood one key thing, and yeah. it's it's not, it doesn't take you know a big pulsating brain to understand this. Is that I mean we've heard for a long time that the Russian economy has been in decline, and oil and gas is the only thing they can actually you know rely upon, and oil prices are low; they're going up again now. But I've heard that so much that I don't believe it anymore. That the Russian economy is probably doing a little better than people suspect it is. But the thing that he understands is that when you do, let's say, I don't know, annex Crimea, invade Georgia, and at the end of it, just say, you know what, I'm going to take South Ossetia and Abkhazia. I'm really drunk, by the way. But South Ossetia, But well done. I've been on the border of both of these places. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I interviewed and I just called her Cortez. I was like, hey, Miss Cortez. But like, if you do all these things, what, I mean, this is kind of, I don't, this is a really kind of inappropriate comparison, but there's a point at which, you know, in the 1930s, when you start annexing territory and nobody does anything, you keep doing it, right? So, so, I mean, this is the same thing that happened with Chechnya, same thing that happened with Georgia, the, the, what, what happened in, in Ukraine before the annexing of Crimea, which is basically running a puppet government yep. out of Kiev, and all this stuff. Nobody checks him. By the way, the first major cyber attack, major state-sponsored cyber attack was what? Nobody remembers this. It was Russia a cyber attack against Estonia yep. and knocking Esto the Estonian internet By the way, offline because they took down a, a Red Army statue you, in Tallinn. Did you see that his plane clipped Estonia's airspace? Oh yeah, I mean, that was to, deliberate. Like, yeah, yeah, it was absolutely yeah. deliberate. Yeah, look, there's nobody so will many, do anything. There's so many that's ways. His, he, quote unquote. So, but, but he recognizes weakness. Yeah. What's the expectation though? What what should we do? I, there's a lot of things that we it's could a do. different thing, but yeah, there, I, I'm lot, interested. There's a lot of things that we could do. Uh -huh. Personally, I would favor. Uh, I always prefer wet work. So I would like, uh, I would perhaps like Mr. Snowden to have a few notes slipped into his pillow. Wow! I'm not sure I understand. Be, be explicit. You'd like no, that I just, now? I just, I, I just think that we should. I think we should start 
doing some pretty intense cyber attacks against the people who we know matter the most to Putin and to their industries. Mm -hmm. I think we should make them feel some pain. I, I also think that we can also, frankly, you know, arm places that will enforce airspace. I think there are a lot of different things that we could do. But the question, again, is are we willing to do them as a people? Do the American people want to even do that. Well, there's an appetite for it now. I think I mean, the only the only reason you though, are is because of the Russian right. hysteria. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. so absent right. the Russian hysteria, which you were skeptical of earlier, mm -hmm. you would certainly not have any enthusiasm for any I sort of screwing right. around with the Russians. Yeah. Yes. So the, what does that? So I mean, what does that leave? I mean, us with? let's just put it this way: if if we wanted to, we could treat you know the oligarchs who are closest to Putin the same way that we treated Iran when it came to their assets. We absolutely could. Mm -hmm. Now. Personally, I would not be in favor of that. I mean, we could do that, but I, I think that a policy of de-escalation is more where Americans want to be, which is one of the reasons why I don't think that what happened in the past week is going to matter politically in November. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we, we have to have this conversation in public mm -hmm. in a way that we haven't been having it. We've been hair on fire in public for a year and a half mm -hmm. about this without a serious conversation of, wait a minute, is there an appetite for escalation when it comes to, I mean, the conversation, just setting aside Russia for a second, the conversation about North Korea went from the LA Times printing on their front page, uh, here's the blast radius in LA if they right. decide to bomb us, sure. uh, to, oh, Donald Trump is going to give away the whole farm. Right. Okay. And that's a ridiculous conversation. That's not what's, you know, either, but neither of those is, is actually sort of, I think, happening. But we need to have a, a more public conversation about foreign policy in part because I think Americans, like I said a bit earlier, have gone through a Vietnam-like period where they no longer trust the, the leadership that we have when it comes to foreign policy. And the answer to that, I think, is more transparency about the decisions we make. Do we want to have a tougher relationship with the, with the Russians or a quote-unquote better relationship with the Russians? Do we want to confront the Chinese for what they're doing? Or do we want to have, you know, sort of a more laid-back posture? But what, is this, what does this even mean? Like, in what world are we having a more serious conversation? And who is leading that conversation? Is it the Democratic leadership who seem to believe that the President of the United States is a Russian plant? <laughs> is it the Republican leadership I actually, who is I, who, I, it turned into Trump sycophants? Is it the American people who are leading this conversation I who think it's are two distinct minds? I think Some of the, them would not be they can't be more here's, dissatisfied with Donald Trump de-escalating. Were good, he to start de-escalating, here's, here's a good it would example be further of proof talking. of his treachery. Here's a good example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, do you do any of you know who the next uh, uh, chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee is going to be after Bob Corker? I I know Bob Corker. No, I don't know. No. See. No. Yeah, I don't. It's it's a senator from Idaho. It could have been Marco Rubio yes, if he wanted it, yeah. but he declined and he decided to head the Small Business Committee. Mm. Now, I'm not going to call. keep your head down. Yeah. So that's my point. Uh -huh. All these guys are keeping their heads down. Right. They don't want to go out there and have, I mean, the reason that Jeb Bush didn't have an answer to that Iraq question is because in the intervening. Because he's low energy? <laughs> a little bit of that. In the intervening, in the intervening period between, you know, uh, 2008 and 2016, we did not have debates happening on Sunday shows or in really any forum mm -hmm. between Bush people and critics of the Bush people uh -huh. to figure out what do we think about foreign policy? What is the conservative post-war, uh, well, post-Cold War that, foreign that, policy? That happened, you know, maybe too late, but it was mm -hmm. 2006. It was definitely happening. Well, but, but I think that one of the things that we really need right now is a conversation about what the foreign policy view of the Republican Party and their voters really is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we you end the Cold War... And there's a theory that basically says 
the the war on terror kind of insulated us from having to come up with something. Mm -hmm. What do we think about the projection of American power? Um, what are we willing to risk? What are we willing to commit to? And now that leads you to a point where it's an argument about, you know, uh, the, the attitude of the United States towards all these other major nation states. And I don't think that there's any clear vision and there's no one to really chart it. And I think that's a problem. And, and I think it's a problem on both parties. I mean, you look at the ridiculousness from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the other day about Israel, uh -huh. you know, where she just spouts this this line and then. It's, fra yeah, it's phrase politics. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah she had no idea. What, what is the occupation? Anyway. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What, Whatever her yeah. perspective, yeah. right yeah. or wrong, yeah. she clearly had no idea yes. what she was talking about. Yeah. yeah. And that and that only can happen in an environment where we're willing to tolerate that degree. But we are. You disconnect yeah. from any of these yeah. issues. I mean, we've been doing that for a while. I yes. mean, for, it's for, not eight, for eight years yeah, under yeah. Obama, the Republican Party had a, had an opportunity to pick up the rubble from the Bush administration and say, this is how we're going to move forward. We're not, right. going to, <clears throat> we're not going to do our global war on terror. We're not going to invade 20 different countries and root out every single terrorist organization. This is our alternative to the Obama administration. And they didn't do that. What they did do was stage endless hearings about Benghazi mm -hmm. and and focus on things like the Iran, like you know the minutia of the Iran deal, not the Iran deal itself but just like little parts of it and they there we there was a vacuum in the Republican leadership that led to the, the kind of nihilistic foreign policy of Donald Trump, which is, you know, bomb the shit out of them, but also de-escalate and pull the troops out of everywhere. By by the way, um, I'm, I'm coming up here from Washington, D.C., which did have a water ordinance uh, this week where you had to boil your water for yes, a couple, that was, of, that was, that a couple of days and its metro <laughs> is frequently on fire. So I actually officially think I'm a refugee from a shithole country. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was amazing. Like in, in the same week, you had to boil your water in D.C. and you weren't allowed to eat Honey Smack cereal anywhere in the country. Is that right? Yes. I didn't see that. Yes. Oh, that was, I, that was I didn't boxes. know they still <laughs> made Honey Smacks. I, Why I, I, I have I these didn't... sharp pains <laughs> in my gallbladder? But that's that's something else. But it's it, this this conversation is is interesting to me. I think the point you're making is 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 apt, Ben. The notion that we need to have a more serious and strenuous conversation about foreign policy. That there are very real decisions that we're not wrestling with. The implications of decisions that we're not wrestling with. And perhaps it's true that the American people aren't interested in any sort of escalation with the Russians. I'm not so sure about that. Um, and and more, more to the point, it seems like we're there's an issue I feel like we're skirting around, and it's that the relative unseriousness of the political class, the relative unseriousness of the mainstream media, which is generally speaking serving up stories about the most hysterical things. It is generally speaking most concerned, perhaps, with the threats against the free press that they believe are coming emanating from. Which the White is House. not taking questions from Jim um, Acosta, but sure. <laughs> um, and and the voters who, quite frankly, like I don't know that most voters are interested in they having aren't. serious aren't. conversations about the implications of policy. Where does that, where does that leave one? So, and what does that mean for, what does that, what does that suggest our policy prescriptions ought to look like to the point we're arriving at preferences for what we, what we would like to see happen in Russia? So unlike, unlike the rest of you, I have been on the dark side. I've worked in administration and, and uh -huh. in, uh, on Capitol Hill. And, um, and I've had a line that I've used for, for, two decades, which is, which is just consider the possibility that we're led by idiots. And, <laughs> and what I really mean by that is that most members are not that bright. 
um, that they know a few things that help them get elected, usually about business or taxes or yeah. something like that. Um, but that for the most part, they're staffed by people who are 27, 28 years old and who are usually fresh out of college, don't have a lot of experience and are fully confident that they could remake a sixth of the American economy with a piece of legislation overnight and that it would be way better. I'm, and, pretty, I'm pretty sure you tweeted that, right? Was that, I, uh, I have a pinned tweet that yeah, does yeah. say that. Yeah, yes. that, that was great. And just real quick, I, I've, I, I do rec- I've said this for a long time myself and I recommend every American citizen watch a lot of C-SPAN because you will I never you say loose change. Which no, I'm glad you didn't I, say that. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know why you'd think I. I don't know because it's your favorite film and you have a tattoo of it on your forearm. <laughs> yeah, I, it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead. I'm continue. Gonna, yes, and continue. Continue. Dylan no, Avery. But, yeah. yeah. I, I, all I was going to say, Jesus Christ, was uh, C-SPAN. Watch C-SPAN because you will never suffer from the mythology that uh, your Congress people are leaders or exceptional people or exceptional intellects of any kind. Or the oh, voter, other voters. If you watch a Washington Journal when they call, yeah, it when they call it's great. No, but, oh. but, I, I is my question on the Republican line. Um, I know t- 10 Jews in my town. I think they're Rothschilds, and I don't know what they're up to. The weather machine. Does, uh, does Chuck Schumer, who is also a Jew, know about this? But honestly, if you watch, if you watch like, like literally the most anti-Semitic show on television, the Washington Journal. It's, just it's a, like, why do so many anti-Semites call them that? It's like, like the Washington boy, Journal is like, the honey, YouTube I gotta go com- Washington Journal's on and talk about the Jews. It's like the YouTube comment section for old people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, I got but, a I got a media hit today. <laughs> but, but C-SPAN itself is just is is vital for that because it is just showing at you the the rawness of, yeah. of the mediocrity. Hey, I was born in I was born in Mississippi. I grew up in South Carolina, and I did not meet a Jewish person until I was ten. Yes. So, but did you assume that they had horns? Because, no, because no, 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 no. See, I come from that Zionist strain of evangelical Christianity that ah, loves yeah. Jews more than like anybody yeah, yes, else. Yeah. So, yeah, because you want to take over their land, praying. Oh well, no, no. <laughs> Praying for Armageddon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. My yeah. favorite solution. Left behind my favorite Biloxi. Solu- my favorite solution to Iraq was just to go to Israel and say, well, how much will it cost to take care of this in six <laughs> You months? used solution in that <laughs> sentence. You made me nervous. Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad with the way no, that, no, no. that so, sentence so, went. So, but just look, to your, to your point about the idiocy thing, just to get personal for a minute, look, uh, uh, my father-in-law and I, John McCain, do not obviously see eye to eye. We have argued many times. Um, over all sorts of different things, especially when it comes to foreign policy. But what I will say is that I think he's someone who is serious about it and studies it and knows more about most of what he's talking about within with regards to everything that we've been discussing today than 98 of the other senators yeah. in, mm-hmm. in the Senate. Sure. And the point is simply we cannot continue. The, the, the representative process in America is completely and utterly broken. And the American people in both parties, I think, know it. Um, the Democrats know that the one time that they had representative control, that they ended up passing this health care law that none of them are really happy with. And and Republicans look at it as we've been sending these people back there time and time and time again, and they don't do anything different. And they've reached this conclusion that we are ruled by a bureaucracy, an administrative state, and a judiciary. And that those are the only two sort of functional elements of federal government. Hmm. And that's disastrous, I think, in the long run, because it's it's the sort of thing that leads people to elect the types of party sycophants who are never going to have to study, are never going to have to look into these issues. And it's I mean, it is absolutely crazy to me that you have sort of a, a level of conversation about these very complex and very important issues at the highest levels in which 
most of the members of a committee mm-hmm. have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You know, you're you're on this committee, you're supposed to be in charge of this thing, and there may be two or three guys in the room who actually know what's going on. Everyone else, you know, you, it, yeah. it, it's, you might as well just be winging it. And that's why all of these public hearings and everything else is just so ridiculous, and it's not going to change until the types of representatives that we have change. It's, I don't want to be, like, just hopelessly pessimistic about this, but at least when you talk about the American people knowing it, them knowing that the leadership is completely bankrupt and is vapid and don't and don't know things that they're ignorant. I'm not sure that that on average, the average voter does know that. No, which, they don't. Which suggests it, 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 that no, there's a it, different it, it, and more it, it, fundamental It's like problem. an instinct politics in the sense that, you know, the number of people I've talked to in You're the right. past year who say, you know, we need to drain the swamp uh-huh. using that language and saying these people don't know anything. And then I talk to them about the current president who knows even less. Uh-huh. And they say, oh, no, he's amazing. Yeah. He's really doing it. He's draining the swamp. And it's like, no, it's instinct politics. It, it's it's phrase politics. It has nothing to do with people paying any close attention to anything. Yeah, I have no idea what you I would, I would actually be, at this point, be be incredibly pleased if these people listened to Rush Limbaugh during the day. <laughs> oh, so no. I have, I have no interest in Rush Limbaugh um, and don't have any He'd respect for him at all. Bit. But it seems when I, I, I've talk to people who are losing their jobs because of Donald Trump, because of Donald Trump's policies. I mean, literally dozens of people who refuse to believe, you know, it's, it's, it's a really scary thing because it's, 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 it's what, there's a number of people that have actually done these studies of totalitarian leaders and why people kind of went along with them for so long. And one of the consistent things and this is true of, you know, 15 regimes in the 20th century, is that the people who are, are sycophants of uh, the head of this regime, of the dictator, of the autocrat, they say, well, if only that person, whoever it might be, knew what was happening. Mm. It's all these underlings. He'd take care of that. And the number of times I heard that about Donald Trump in the past, you know, six months is breathtaking because they said, like, you might lose your job because of X policy. I know, but he, he, like, he's, he has our best interests at heart. We'll see how it pans out. Like, good God, how delusional are you, are, are you about this? Stuff? And then, and then you realize that, okay, there's a tariff here. Let's go back to some boring issue like tariffs. There's a tariff here that is going to make sure that you don't work for the next, you know, two years. What's a, What's the tariff? Exactly. They fog they out. Have at no the idea. Literally no idea until the person who is wrangling them into a room to fire them at the factory tells them it's because of the tariff. That's when they start maybe looking on their phones and say, what the fuck is this tariff? They still don't understand why, but it's it's a complete sort of blissful ignorance. And they see a person on TV who talks like they do, thinks like they do, hates this sort of class that they do, despite the fact that he's kind of from it, Mm -hmm. which I've never been able to quite square. Um, but also resents the people that he well, resents. Oh, exactly. but I can, but I can, I can square that for you. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the fundamental basis of a healthy politics is respect. And I think, you know, what Donald Trump was able to absolutely exploit, something that, you know, was obvious, I think, to anyone who'd been paying attention to him, is to say, look, I don't have anything in common with you, you know, guy from West Virginia. You know, we live completely different lives. We have nothing in common in terms of our experience. And he would say on the stump, I'm rich. Yes. Often. Yes. I'm, yes. Really, I'm, rich. I'm really rich. Yes. I'm really yeah, rich. Really, like, yeah. I'm really, really, rich. really, really rich. Really, really rich. Bigly. Yeah. Believe me. Bigly rich. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. Uh, but, but he would also say implicitly and sometimes explicitly, they hate you and they hate me. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're we're on the same side here because uh-huh. they hate they sure. the elites, the media, they hate you and they hate me. And that's yeah. why I'm gonna fight for you. And that is such a powerful there is nothing more powerful than a true. It to is a class. fantastic scam. It's one of the best scams I've seen pulled of the American oh, yeah. people in a long it's time. A music man. Because I mean you you can see the the photo that everyone's seen of Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump at the wedding, right? It was only when he decided to say, you know, here's maybe not a deliberate strategy, but on Twitter saw it bearing fruit pretty quickly and becoming a, you know, a birther, which I don't think he actually is. I think he saw the results of this and sort of enjoyed it. And then he became the outsider. He was an insider all the way through people. You know, it's like people on the bad insider, a wannabe insider, a wannabe insider, but he did a decent job in the sense that like people point out that the Central Park, um, Central Park uh, Five. Well, the, the ad that he that he published in the New York Post yeah. and maybe in the Daily News too, and like, look, this bloodthirsty instinct from the beginning. I mean, look, you know, Ed Koch, who was a Democrat, thought this exact same thing, right? Uh-huh. This was not outside the mainstream of anyone's thinking in the post Bernie gets New York. Sure. He was a tough Democrat. He was a tough Democrat, right? This is a very common thing in New York. But it was, it was like the people point back, it's like, no, he was always outside. No, he was not. He only decided to become outside. Of of the, that kind of sort of you know elite mainstream in the two thousands sometime you know or in, in, in the late two thousands I would 2000s, argue yeah. Maybe, Look, it, it, Barbara Walters was having him on the View and called oh her, yeah her, her dear friend as while Obama was president yeah I mean David Letterman right. had these sort of semi sycophantic interviews with him and now it's like you know he's look on on Earth One the NFL allowed him to buy the Jets and we don't have to deal with that <laughs> although but that's the point and I'm 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 only bringing it back here because I feel like I'm saying it but I don't know if it's resonating like we we've gone in. Deep on the yeah. corruption of the Republican Party, of the 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 debauchery of the Trump administration, the 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 fu- I was gonna, I was going to go even further. I'm just going to stop with that analogy. Yeah, um, you but, probably should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I? But, can I? But the siren note, song that he like sung to the Republicans. But yeah. I. But I want to. I want someone to 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 stand with me here. Democrats, liberals, progressives on the other side are similarly ridiculous and hysterical right now. They, I just don't know they had spent, where the serious side of this thing is. If they had spent the last sure. year and a half extending olive branches, saying, hey, maybe we took this uh, demographic destiny thing a little bit too far. Maybe we need to reassess some of our policies. Maybe we need to get back in touch with some of those people that Bill Clinton was trying to get us to campaign or have an economic message for in the past couple. Maybe the way to win is the way that we've won some of these specials with these guys who are maybe not 100% buying into the Tom Steyer agenda and maybe Mm -hmm. they're cool with guns and maybe they actually have Bibles in their homes that aren't just props. And instead... For the most part, what you actually see on the national stage, and this is not necessarily representative of the local Democratic parties, which I think are more mindful of this. On the national stage, what you see is just a contest about who's going to be the most anti-Trump and who's going to push the envelope even further and who is going to deliver this message that we don't just want to beat you in an election. We want to destroy you. Yeah, they're an existential threat. Mm -hmm. from this country. Jeremy Peters, so I interviewed Jeremy Peters from the New York Times on, on Monday and he wrote this piece from the New York uh, that, that I encourage everybody to read, but it said something that I thought was blatantly obvious, which is that these these extreme critiques of Trump and Trump voters 
tend to drive people into his arms just out of a basic loyalty foxhole sort of sure. thing. And, and Peters went through and wrote a thorough and Peters is not, I mean, he's not a conservative by any measure. I mean, he's a, you know, but, but he's a very responsible reporter and I think he did a good job. He was lambasted by all of the Obama bros, by all of the pod save America guys. They were just, you know, railing on him and sending people after him and, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, just, disgusted that this argument would even be it would show up in the new york times he's 100 percent correct there, there was there, i was i was i did a brief stint at buzzfeed last year uh producing a tv show and we found that uh the the wokest backbenchers on the congressional con, uh, democratic congressional bench the ones that were the most active on twitter who were who literally had no accomplishments whatsoever maybe it had only been in office for about two years the most strident anti-Trumpers were the ones that were getting the TV time. Mm-hmm. And this was something that was not my observation. This was an internal observation. Mm-hmm. And even though they were still booking them, they were like, well, they're, they're good. They're, 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 they're bringing the energy. And to Camille's point, I think that that's a big part of it is that it's not even so much like a, you know, a top down kind of thing. It's that you've got, a, you've got, a leader, a leaderless Democratic the, Party in the, a lot of ways. The way, but people, ambitious people, pushing up from beneath, finding that they're getting enough oxygen out of being the most anti-Trump without much substance behind it. So, in the inevitable HBO series miniseries about uh-huh. 2016, um, the scene that I most want to see is a scene that reflects that, that it's a it's been reported in both Politico and and in the Times um, that uh, that. Robbie Mook would occasionally refer to Bill Clinton as that hillbilly. I want to see a scene where Bill Clinton is in there saying, these are my people. Yeah. I know these people. Yeah. You got to go out there. You got to talk as, to as, them. As, you got to give them an economic I think, message. I think when I did your show, then, I think when I did the yes, Trader, yeah, and, you, you and I were talking about casting this. Yes. This and, then, and then and then I want to see him walk away and Robbie would be like, oh, the hillbilly, the fucking hillbilly. That, that, that's it's like, crazy. It's like Bill Clinton, I mean, he's kind of damaged goods now, but in the 2016 campaign, he was an he unutil- was underutilized dead, asset. He was dead on about what their problem yeah. was. And and this, this is the problem that they face in 20. Which is going to begin as soon as this election happens. Yeah, I mean, it's also the problem the Republican Party faces, too. I mean, imagine if you had somebody that tapped into that. Yeah. That, that you know, oh, the Democrats devastate. forgot. And you did it in a sort of halfway responsible way. Mm. I mean, mm. you would be, you know, you know, rocket to the top of the charts mm. and you'd be you'd be bulletproof for a long time. Is that, you know, on the foreign policy and we've talked a lot about that today is that, yeah, you know, we've talked in this show. We've you know, Camille and I have gone back and forth on this is that, yeah, you know, he's a bit gruff. He's a bit boorish. But so what? Right. You see after this Europe trip that there is an answer to the so what. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the, what his performance in England is, or in the United Kingdom, is damaging, hugely damaging. I think his performance, you know, in, in Germany and his conversation with Angela, Angela Merkel are damaging, too. I think this Russia business is massively damaging. I think that all the interactions with Jens Stoltenberg and NATO hugely damaging. And we hear this from people directly inside of this stuff. If we had a president, they could be, you know, a populist. Look to Europe, actually. A good example of this, and this is not somebody I support in any way. I'm the exact opposite. Look to Viktor Orban in Fidesz in, 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 in Hungary. Viktor Orban actually follows a fairly similar path to Trump in the sense that 
1989, Fidesz was the liberal party. There was an anti-Soviet party. They, of course, end up in the arms of the Russians, much like Donald Trump did, in some sense of that, you know, what Hungary is, do, is doing now is far more extreme than what, what, what's happening in, in Washington. But Orban is doing it with, with a, a sort of precision that Donald Trump can't muster. And that's why he's so damn effective. And Donald Trump might, you know, have a four-year term, and that's the end of Trumpism in the way that we don't talk about the Tea Party anymore. I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't, I don't know if he'll win, but I don't think, I think that this sort of, you know, I think constituency... We have I think we have Trumpism for the next eight years. For the next eight years, either way regardless of whether he wins. But if, if, if we had a president who is not so oafish, right, as Donald Trump is, and people, I mean, everybody has abandoned this idea that it's 9D chess. The guy doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't know what he's talking about. You can hear that in every, it's, it's sort of every syllable of that press conference with Vladimir Putin. I mean, that was the embarrassing thing about it. I don't think he's being treasonous. I don't think he's giving away, giving away the crown jewels. I don't think he's the elder hiss of 2018. But you see him talking and you say, this man does not know how to make deals. I interviewed Ann Coulter. And I've known her for a number of years. I interviewed her for a special. I know record. you love her. Yeah. <laughs> you actually secretly. I, I'll tell you what, the thing about Anne is that I think she's a complete nutbag, but I, at least she's amusing. I, I She's <laughs> funny, and I'm just like, you're fucking crazy, but you're funny. But but there was a point in this, I don't know if it made I met her when I was an intern. Really? I was an intern at Human Events. Oh, God. I was 15 years old. She was chain smoking outside the building. Yeah. I and, don't know if uh, Bill Maher's story is And. No, no, no. See, this is the thing. You can go back and you can watch. And Ann Coulter is one of the last episodes of Firing Line, the original. Oh, yeah, sure. That's uh, right. That's uh, true. The one that matters. Hmm. Um, and Oof. and she, she goes on. And, Sorry, Margaret. And she's on there at, with with um, uh, Bill Buckley. And she's basically like a conservative Jeffrey Tubin, like in the good sense, not in yeah, the... She had just written High Crimes and Misdemeanors. Which is Regnery a serious yeah. book and that kind of thing. Yeah. And what... I was able to see her transformation because I think it's two years later she writes a much hotter mm. book in terms of in terms of its rhetoric, mm. and then it's just off, off to the, the races. races. It's yeah, like exactly it's right. like oh, I was going to be this like court TV legal analyst type, and nope, yeah. this is this is way better. But the great the, the thing <laughs> that, that, that when I was when I was uh, when I was uh, talking to her, mm. the one thing I thought like was pretty funny because she's not a Trump sycophant. She's a Trump supporter, which is a slightly different yeah, thing in the sense that like she's throwing punches. She's like, she's like, you know, if he doesn't build the wall in four years, I'm going to burn his house utterly down. Utterly consistent. She's been very consistent. She's the Glenn Greenwald of the right. She's consistent <laughs> in that sense. But I will, I will. Um, she said something funny, which I was surprised by, because you know, people like Anne, who are you know, you know not sick of fans, but they they like to defend Trump against the liberal media, even if it makes them slightly uncomfortable, is that she said to me, he's the worst negotiator I've ever seen. And that is absolutely right. I mean, you have a ghostwriter for the art of the deal because you don't even know what the art of the deal is, right? He is a bad negotiator. He loves the optics of everything, hence the North Korean thing. When it's like, what did you just, what did we achieve here? It's like, oh, we got KCTV 
the only channel in North Korea to have this wonderful montage that plays out over six hours of look at how we played America. But, you know, he's not a good negotiator. He's very, very bad at this. And this is why pe like, people like Viktor Orban and people like this sort of like burgeoning Bannonite movement in Europe, which we see in Italy of the five-star movement. Oh, don't League. give him that credit. Oh, well, he deserves it in some ways. Uh, um, who, Trump or Bannon? Bannon. 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 No, he kind of does his I don't know. Bannon. I mean, B Bannon's I mean, been in Italy for exactly, the last year. He's been doing the legwork. Yeah, he's in the legwork. And, and he shows up in every country where there's a second place party that's of the far right. And they end up doing really well. But those, those far right parties actually have people, and whether or not you, disagree, you agree with, I disagree with almost all of them, they have people that are incredibly fluid and fluent about politics. If Donald Trump had that capacity and that quality, I think would be screwed if i mean in my estimation because i don't like him at all but we would be screwed the, the fact that he is that oafish and boorish is what constrains him from being very successful mm -hmm. well what's well, keeping him one last quick point i know you're i know you're itching sorry mm -hmm. uh but the i'm just waiting for the republican party for i mean trump's own administration has, has shown murmurs of re rebellion including john kelly mm -hmm. who apparently was lobbying gop leadership to push back on the the putin uh sure summit because he wanted to see that walk back exactly yeah, yeah. uh I, i'm just waiting Good. for like and, and, and it's tough <laughs> what a walk back it was but, but anthony <laughs> but anthony that's not going to happen and it's not going to happen because the people who are critics of trump who are actually within the republican party which i am not um they are not putting their money where their mouth is. Well, that's, if, what, that's what I was if hoping you, for. Okay, yeah. look, like like rewind to a year and a half ago. If you're Bill Crystal, if you are, you know, one of the. By the way, I had a long conversation with Paul Singer recently, um, uh, and he uh, and he said just unequivocally, he was just like, you know what, I've been giving to Republican politicians for thirty plus years, and this is the guy who finally did it. This is the guy who finally moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Ah, yeah, and and he wasn't he wasn't yeah. sounding Trumpian, but he was sounding like what did it take? Like I, you know, he and then he you know complained a little bit yeah. about Colin Powell, and because he blames Colin Powell for Bush not doing it and that. Kind mm -hmm. of, yeah. But but what it would take for a real pushback to happen within the Republican Party is for his critics to help reelect other people who will critique him yeah. to say to Jeff Flake, Hey, you're worried about your reelection. We will max out to you. We will make sure you run for reelection. We will back Mark Sanford to the hilt. We will back Bob Corker to the hilt because we want you there. And instead they've just been complaining and writing columns and things yeah. like that for a year and a half. And all these so, guys so are you, losing you, you, you're putting, you're putting the onus though on columnists when it, Really should be on like oh I don't the really donors mean, or no 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 it yeah. should be donors too yeah. it should be all the donors who yeah. frankly backed the projects of those columnists for yeah. years and years and years like the the point sort of being Max Boot will change them <laughs> yeah Max Boot is not going to change anything yeah. anything yeah. and and the and it's ridiculous to assume that he would and it's not even really on him to do it but the point is to Max Boot stop writing columns and go to people and say we're going to start a whole entity that's just going to back all these guys who are going to be a hedge on Trump. That hasn't hasn't materialized, and it means that we lose people. I mean, Mark Sanford more than probably any Republican, yeah. except when it comes to 
hiking the Appalachian Trail, is someone who I probably agreed with more than anybody else who was that's in a, That's a euphemism, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, and, it's, and I'm sorry to see him go. But the point is, if you were an anti-Trump Republican, you should have been backing him to the hill. But, but can I ask a question here? And this is... This is um, About was, the Appalachian Trail? Well, yeah, kind of. I have, by the way, hiked all of the Appalachian Trail with oh, my family. Oh, God, I bet you did. I bet you did. What was her name? My parents are both foresters. He married now, girls. He ain't gonna hide no Appalachian Trail. It's other than that. It's disgusting. Um, but I will say, I will say this. The question that I have, um, uh, Michael Barbaro, who does the Daily Podcast, and who um, is a fantastic producer, and Andy uh, yeah. uh, Mills, mm-hmm. uh, who's lovely. Um, Shouts out to Andy. A, a, he Bye, had a, uh, a thing yesterday or today, I think, with Maggie Haberman about all of these moments. It was actually a really good piece. It was a really smart way of doing it. All these moments in, in, in refreshing our memory during the campaign when we said, you know what, this is it. We are done, right? And I remember that I was actually in Utah when the tape, the, the Access Hollywood tape came out. Mm. And it was the Utah delegation that came running to the microphones and saying, we are done. No more. This is too much. We're Mormons. This is crazy. And we, I remember sitting in a bar, no, in a bar. I was in Utah. I was maybe at a, a, a fucking Chuck E. Cheese or something in Utah. <laughs> uh, maybe it was a bar. I don't remember. I've, I have an alcohol. I'm drunk now. But I remember sitting there and, and, and hearing um, this. Oh, God. That was three years ago. Oh, yeah. Three years ago today. Trump questions McCain's war hero status. I will say this. I remember taking a cab home and talking, talking, I'm going to be Thomas Friedman here, talking to a cab driver. And I was like, it's over after this, after this John McCain thing. It's over. It's done. So it was in, in the, in the daily. For, for the record, I said the exact same thing. Yeah, we all did. So, so how did we get to this point? And this is the question they didn't ask on the Daily Podcast today. They were just kind of a, it was kind of a historical survey and it was very good. But it was going through all these points, the, the you know, grabbing by the pussy tape, John McCain thing, all favorite, this stuff. By the way. It was like that where Mitch McConnell comes out, Paul Ryan comes out, everybody's coming out and saying, no way. And Ryan's Priebus comes out and says, you either come out and apologize for this, do something, or you stand down. You can't win. And he said that either way. He said, you're not going to be able to win. That's according to Steve Bannon said that. It, it seems to be true. Actually. I believe it. From a number yeah, of other people, it seems to be true. So where did we get to this point where all of these madness, these sort of insane moments from Donald Trump in these kind of bizarro public utterances that you see on stage next to Putin or whether it's Theresa May or in front of the queen or whatnot, where they don't matter at all. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a, a little thing about John McCain wasn't a real hero. And everyone's like, it's over. It's absolutely over. Now we're at a point where the guy is like cratering financial markets by saying idiotic things about trade or about China and or, you know, even about foreign policy. And no one says a damn thing. It's the volume. It's just the volume of the outrage. It is the volume. It is it is it is exhaustion. Uh, Just to circle back to a point that you made earlier, Camille. I was going to say, you forgot my name. The. The black idea chap. that we should be the black chap. <laughs> the idea that we should be optimistic about things. Uh, there's a line from uh, the Greek Orthodox theologian David uh, Bentley Hart, um, who Obviously. talks who talks about um, uh, who talks about how uh, uh, he, he has a whole essay about the brother Karamazov and sort of uh, the morality and the way that we judge the world that we live in, mm-hmm. uh, and he talks about how. Um, uh, Christ has set us free from optimism and taught us hope instead. Mm. Um, 
I, I think about that a lot these days because I'm not actually optimistic, mm. but I do think that there's something deeper in and very human about, you know, the American voters as we see them and the ability to sort of cross these various lines today. Um, before I came up here today, I, I interviewed a guy who wrote a whole book about this small town in West Virginia and sort of its 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 uh, reaction to kind of an opioid epidemic and all these other things, the country music history that was there. He's a liberal from Bethesda, Maryland. And I, I asked him, you know, whether his friends sort of treated him like he was going to visit the menagerie every time he went up to this town to write about it. And he said, you know what, I, I would go up there and I, I wouldn't see Trump voters. I would see people. And I would see people who would hug me when I came up there, mm. and go to a barbecue together and talk to them. Mm. And I, I really do feel like there's something that's much deeper within the American psyche that actually is in favor of neighborhood in sort of a to Tocquevillian sense mm. that, that recognizes that as being a deep and essential element of our republic. And I still have a lot of hope in that. I think that it's it seems to be waning right now because we're paying attention to all these other things. Yeah. But I'm actually hopeful that that has the possibility of coming back. I, I I believe in that optimistic note as well. It's just, generally speaking, it's not the American voter that I am so uh, optimistic about. It's the American individual. It's once you subtract the politics from the context, everyone becomes a hell of a lot easier and nicer to deal with in various in various ways. And uh, for me, it's it's the sense in which the sense that I have is that we've sort of crept up to the point where we find ourselves today. Yeah. And the sort of disreputableness of Donald Trump in particular is is uncovering some things. Um, but the the sickness, the ailment was there all along. The deep contempt and hatred for Barack Obama, for George W. Bush before that, for Bill Clinton before that. The fact that there's always been a persistent vast right wing conspiracy and a vast left wing conspiracy now and a deep state conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And what was it? The the chap from on CNN earlier this week um, who suggested uh, Philip Mudd, who said that we need a shadow <laughs> government um, at some point. He's also the in. fellow who, who said the N word <laughs> on was, TV. Yes. Uh, which which N word did he say? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we didn't get to read any yeah. of those hater tweets. But no, this no. Is but, a good transition. Let me just say the the point. I would just the way I would drill it down is this: yeah. our our hope. Barack Obama was the man on the horse. Hmm. He was he was coming to save us, to make the ocean stop rising, to fix all of our problems. That was a lie. Donald Trump. I alone can fix it. That is also a lie. Yeah, yeah. When I when I feel hopeful, it's because. I lived in Houston for a year. Yeah. I look at Houston. Yeah. I look at the line of trucks driving with boats behind them, you know, after that hurricane. That's what gives me hope. Yeah. Because that is still a part of the American psyche and our neighborhood and our attitude towards each other. And I think that that's way more powerful than any of these idiot politicians we keep electing. I, I see you getting emotional there. That's good. I, I get like a that. Emotional. Yeah, it's good. America, damn it. Um, we should get out of here soon. I, I did yeah. want to um, punch to, to touch briefly on and to double We down drank that whole bottle. Previous, almost that whole bottle. Almost the whole bottle of this yeah. uh, tin cup. Here. I'm proud of this. this I'm, I'm going to get, I'm good. getting a lot. Quite good. A, a lot. Birth, birthday hoops. I'm getting quiet because <laughs> I just realized I'm like seeing triple. Well, then, then good. You Sorry. can just nod in agreement with yeah. this. Actually, the, the yeah. three of you are constitutionally required to disagree with me forcefully on this, but we haven't been here for a while. There's actually been a series of controversies recently last week um, one uh, papa john got here himself, uh, we go 
<laughs> got himself fired from his job. Um, yeah. And uh, not so much fired, resigned rather yeah. promptly, actually, um, after it was reported that and he said he used, regretted it today. He yeah. used the word nigger or maybe it was nigger. We don't have a recording um, in a meeting of some sort. Um, today, he reportedly has come out and said that he regretted it. Um, what I think he regretted is, resigning. Not he regretted what he, he said. regretted resigning. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he regretted apologizing. Too, he regretted and perhaps word. also regrets using the word. Although I, what what's important here, and this is precisely the same thing that happened in the Netflix situation uh, some weeks earlier, where there was an executive there, oh, yeah. a marketing oh, yes. director, yes. Yeah. who was fired for using a similar word, either nigger or nigga, in some context where it was in both cases, explicitly clear that what was happening wasn't the denigration of anyone. They were using the word for illustrative purposes in some context in these meetings. Yeah. To the extent someone was offended, I suspect they didn't say so in the meeting, but eventually it leaks out and someone is quickly fired and must apologize and fall on their sword and die for because they've used this dangerous, toxic, destructive word that has super super massive and magical abilities. I don't know. Well, uh, it's all bullshit. Everyone gets to say nigger and nigga, and the only thing that should matter is your intent. Full stop. Yeah, I agree. Why, 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 why am I you, you haven't, you, you haven't explained it. Word is always mentioned. <laughs> because it's just a word, and I like yeah. hip-hop. And you haven't explained the full context, like if, like I, if I may, for the listeners. Which context? Which context did I just get fired. For the listeners who may not be fully on the Papa John gate. Let Anthony Fisher White explain to you. There's only the fact that Papa John, we haven't heard the other side of this. We've only heard Papa John's ex explanation, Papa John Schnachter, which is a ridiculous thing that his name is Papa with the name with the last name Schnachter. I'll just mm -hmm. say that. That's weird. Uh, but uh, he says he was doing a like training exercise. It was with, a diversity training. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And he was he was yeah. like role playing yes. while he was doing this. And he was using yeah. Colonel Sanders from KFC as an example. And I'm, I'm, that's as far as I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. But he was as an example of what? That's what I'm saying. Because, because, because you can't well, but he also you, you and I five years ago worked at a certain corporation, which will go unnamed, uh -huh. where you actually confronted me in a conference room and said, why won't you say this? You're a friend. You're a friend of mine. Friends. So, so why won't you say this? So, but and I also, said, because I don't work for you. But he also I work says, for this corporation. He also says he was being blackmailed. Well, by but, this but, PR firm. But, but after the fact. After the fact. He, so he so he was he so his this is what I'm saying for the listeners. His explanation was that he was in good faith participating in this diversity training uh, exercise. Mm -hmm. Used yeah. this word as part of that diversity training while role playing, mm -hmm. and that his use of the word was used to blackmail him to extort money from him and the company, and eventually led to his exit from the company. Do, so, I, do I get that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's essentially right. And um, what what bothers me about this and, and to kind of be on Camille's side here for for a second for the first time. Good on this issue. Get him winning. Is that there is this Converse, expanding kind of passel of words that if they're even uttered in a kind of scientific way yes. or historical way <laughs> that will get you brought out back behind the shed and shot in the nape of the neck. Yeah. It's kind of disturbing. It's That's totally disturbing, thing, like, but I follow those rules. Jeez, me too. <laughs> me too. Hashtag. Uh, me, I didn't say that because that would be joking about something I don't think is funny. But uh, here, here's the thing. It's about, I remember Clive James, wrote, uh, the great Australian yep. critic and writer, 
once read something about about um, Daniel Goldhagen's book, Hitler's Willing Executioners, The New Yorker in 1996 or seven. And there was a bit in See, it. This is why I love the fifth column, oh, because you're like you're like you are like my Gen X anarcho libertarian uncles. <laughs> <laughs> you remember all yeah. of these New yeah. Yorker yeah. articles yeah. from just a few years before I started reading. The Sometimes New people ask me how I remember these things. And I, pretty my, much my, my response is the same every time I have a mental illness. <laughs> um, it's very good. But he I, said, I go read them after he mentioned. But it's like funny. It's not. It's not. No, 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 I can co- quote you chapter and verse from this. There's a phenomenal Elizabeth Colbert uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, New Yorker yeah. article about Dungeons yeah. and Dragons yeah. like 2001 you gotta read it six, anyway, 16 go sided die <laughs> <laughs> but, but no I, I Clive James said this and it's like it's not analogous here because it's not heroic to say that word but what he was saying that, that like, word but it was it was that Daniel Goldhagen's book was talking about why did nobody speak up in these totalitarian mm. uh, uh, regimes and he basically said, you know, look, we always like heroism is actually in short supply. Uh-huh. Most people want to keep their head below the parapet and not cause any problems. True. It's not the same thing because it's not a heroic thing to say that word. But, you know, Kavil's always word. saying, just say it, just say it. It's like, motherfucker, I have a daughter who's seven years old I and know. wants to go to school. I know. And that to the it proves your point in the broader sense is that even if I'm doing it in a kind of, you know, you know, clinical way and talking about it and saying like, this is a word. If I'm reading Huck Finn aloud, it's how you know the number of people that have read that book or put that book on a, on a, on a syllabus. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing they know they're in the fucking Greyhound bus station selling pencils. Yeah. Because they, I mean, because this, they're not allowed to say, allowed to say it. like it's, it's, yeah. there is a and point I, I said at it which, for you because I knew you would. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say it. this is absurd. Th- there, there's, I know Mark it's Wayne, absurd. I know because I'm like, with you. I don't want you to get fired from your job. Either. I don't and like I, I just think the whole thing is fucking but do you understand this it's not just that word intent does not matter I know in a whole number of subjects so, these days so it doesn't matter so can I just so you brought up the issue of Papa John where I think that there's a lot of different factors like a moving sort of thing going Absolutely, on yeah there are not so many moving things when it comes to this closer from the Milwaukee Brewers who I actually witnessed having his life kind of yeah fall apart in front of me i was so this is last night so this is last night this is the, the i was the at major, the, major league baseball All-Star. i was at the all-star game in washington dc i was uh, a guest of of george will <sighs> and so i was sitting next to george will and ben sass oh, wow. um and robert wool uh, from our wow. um, <laughs> that's very strange. Uh, yeah, very strange. Yeah. And Philip Michael Thomas no, from, no, from no, Miami Vice. No, no, no. no, I'm not saying a, this. I'm not saying this to, he was to name Crystal's drop, but uh, just to show you too. how bizarre it was to be sitting there uh, and and witnessing this happening in front of us because we were uh, we were behind the National League dugout, which is where he was and where he walked yeah. to after he allowed a three run homer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and we saw the players. Leaning on the on the railing, looking at their phones and talking to each other. Wow! And reacting, and we saw it across the way too, particularly the African American players, and wow. and just sort of looking at that moment. I was like, 
What's going and on? And by the way, one of his teammates, African American teammate, uh, what's his name, center fielder? Um, oh, uh, uh, who defended him? Yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, still Yeah, Willie Mays. Uh, he, he defended him, and he's like, I'm. He's like a. It's like what you want these days. Like he's a really good guy. And yeah. like he was 17 years old. And by the way, we should give context for, for yeah, our listeners. If, if, if you don't know, he had some tweets from when he was a teen. Josh they were Hader. not just racial. They were, he, I mean, he I literally mean, had a tweet. Some, some said, of them were like rap lyrics. Some of them were, but he also had a tweet that just said, I hate gay people. Uh, he yeah. also had, he had another yeah. one that said, I'm so fucking gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, Which, he's just, uh, let's be very clear. So. <laughs> This kid, this guy, this kid, he's, he's 24. Kid. He's 24. All yeah. right. He, he, so that means in 2011, when, when most of us were probably already on Twitter for a yeah. while, yeah. he was 17. Yeah. In 2011 and 2012, when most of these bad tweets happened, he was 17 and 18 when most of these bad tweets happened. Well, bad into, in quotes. Bad, bad, well, in, well into Twitter's, you know, Twitter was already a thing. Yeah. Yes, he was an elite uh, uh, baseball, uh, high school baseball player, probably knew that he was being scrutinized, but he was a jock doing dumb things like most teenagers can be capable of doing. By the way, doing. nobody knows they're being scrutinized. Keep no. that in mind. There's, there, there, like, I, I, I'm on. Even if you're really, good, I'm on you private don't. Facebook groups that have twenty five thousand yeah. people here. And, you know, <laughs> they're members and they complain when it leaks. Like this is private. Like it's the internet. Nobody ever thinks <laughs> fair, about fair it. Fair enough. All right. They I don't mean, think maybe, about maybe it. Maybe I'm even Especially being as a seventeen I, I, was, I was only providing a little context. Yeah. There. Is that yeah. is that like. For, for for those of us, who, when we say, oh, when we're 17, it's a long time ago. For him saying it's 17, it's this decade. So, but my point, but my point would be, I think there's a political ramification of this. And there's a lesson, which is mm. basically that, you know, we're going to move into this new environment where everyone who's running for office is going to have had a Snapchat history. Sure. Or a Twitter history or, yeah. you know, what have you. And that history may be at a remove of 10 years or something like that. But we're going to have to have kind of this understanding that develops within the way that we evaluate candidates and mm. things like that, mm. because the stuff that people were posting on all of these different forums, you know, within the last decade, you know, now they're Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, and, and the point is we're going to have to make an, you know, an assumption, you know, how, how do we evaluate this moment? And eventually like not just language, but, sexual comments and pictures and things like that are going to have to factor in. Yeah. And we're going to have people who are running for president who have these things. Like Trump? It, it, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> but like, I how think, do we do I, I, Look, I think this is the big issue uh, that's like forthcoming in like 10 years. Yes. And I think that somebody like John Ronson in his book, which I'm in in some, the first couple of chapters, and John is a friend of mine and he's, he's, he's a brilliant job and he's like, you know, a lefty guy, not terribly political. But I think that he tapped into something early with the, the woman from IAC who uh, tweeted the thing when she was going Justine to South Africa, Justine Sacco. Justine. Yeah. Um, and the question being is that do you ever get to recover from any indiscretion, youthful or otherwise, and or do you get you have to be timed out forever? And this is the thing of like, okay, he's 17 years old. You sent me a uh, Anthony, you sent me a link today of somebody, I think from Sports Illustrated or or I can't remember. I can't remember the source. Uh, but the source was it was like you somebody know, screen grabbed him. All. Somebody well, somebody screen grabbed him and said, the other one that you sent me was a, the guy, the sports columnist. Craig Caltaterra. Yeah, who said, like, I don't care if he's 18 yeah. or 17. 
protein. And then the screen grab one was a bunch of people saying, like laughing and saying, I'm watching this guy's career blow up in front of my face. I don't get any joy. Out That's of that. horrible. And, Never. And it it's was horrible. This was last goddamn did you, night. Did yeah. you watch? Did you watch his press conference? I, I did. I, he did, I said, he did an extensive. He immediately came out and said, look, this is not me. This is seven years ago. I'm sorry for the things that I said, you know, et cetera. He went in front of the media, which I actually thought took balls. I mean, I don't know this kid other than seeing him in a couple of games, but like that took some stones to go out there immediately and spend a good 15 minutes saying, hey, look, you know, I, I said this. This is not what I think, that kind of thing. But here's here's the reality. This this is the future. Mm-hmm. This is where mm-hmm. we're going. It's the present. Everyone has it's something like this. I think this. it's the present. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's the present, but I mean, in terms of politics, it's the yeah. future in the sense that guys his age, ten years from now, will be running for Congress or yeah. running for Senate, things like that. They will be the future Tom Cottons and that type of thing. I think politi- politicians will get away with it more than celebrities or entertainers. I think that's right. And also, and I've mentioned this here before in the past, and I have a, and any listener can send me on Twitter or on email or whatever, uh, to join my pool. And I have the pool of who's going to die and who's going to be destroyed in death pool. We've talked about this before. Oh, wow. So, you know, oh, wait, David, wait, 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 wait. David Bowie. No, wait, I'm, I'm an, I'm a, I'm a terrible gambler. I want in on this okay. pool. Please so tell me about this. Here's, here's my pick. <laughs> Jimmy Page is my guy. Jimmy Page yeah. is, the, I, have, I have a top five. Okay. Jimmy Page. Clapton. Elvis Costello, Eric Clapton. Jimmy Clapton and Costello have already kind of taken a beating. So, but Jimmy Page has kind of gotten away. Nobody really knows about Clapton, but though. Nobody knows about, that's the National Front speech, and he, he used the word wall, sure, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing about. Morrissey. Uh, well, well, Morrissey's getting it right in now. real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's but, in but real like, time. Okay. Yeah, but the thing about. Camille is fogging out. It's it's like 1980 for Clapton, 7980. Uh, uh, Elvis Costello is like 76, where he uses the N word. Camille, you can look it up and you can say it and be to refer happy to Ray it. Charles and, and Charles, James Brown. Uh, yeah, and James Brown. Uh-huh. But this is the thing: nobody knows this stuff. But all these 22-year-olds who work for Mike Dot Loser or whatever the fuck they do, <laughs> is that somebody will die and they'll start they'll start you know sifting through the garbage and they'll find it and they'll get a hard on and they're going to write this thing before you go lionizing your hero, comma. Here's this bad thing that they said 58 years ago and i like my pool and i think jimmy page might be the top of it but but clapton i think might beat can i have a long shot sure i want a long shot yeah Yeah. Yeah. my long destroyed in death my long shot is norm mcdonald oh really norm so so um i will i will admit i'm this is actually one of the things i'm proudest of in life I am one of the 420 people that Norm Macdonald follows on Twitter, which means that we... Uh, ben, 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 late, late at night. 420. Yep. 420. I love that, Ben. He's doing a Norm there. Right there, Ben. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's, I love Norm, yeah. So uh, I, I adore Norm. I love him very much. Um, He's uh, a genius. So if, funny. But if you look back at some of his old bits... <laughs> oh, yeah. They are so politically incorrect. Oh my God, that movie he did. Oh gosh, uh, dirty work. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I the, just, the whole, the whole hookers like the, whole, the truck. But it keeps getting fucked. So here's the reason. But here's the reason I'd submit him for you is that he has the combination of totally inappropriate but beloved by the people in the craft. Yeah, which is what yeah. makes him sort of you know it's it's like a sort of picking a really good guitarist yeah. or something like that. It's like, it's he's he's beloved by the people in the craft, but wait a minute, that's super But who's more beloved in the craft than Louis C.K.? 
Yeah. Well, but see, Louis. That was private behavior. Louis, but see, Louis going to make a it's comeback. It's not words. That's hand motions. Yeah, it's different. And not but just he asked in for the, permission. Uh, in the sense, yes, <laughs> and, and all I, of it was consensual. And I do believe that Louis actually will. Eventually, he will. He's too talented to not. More. I, I was going to say more that his. At some point, I feel like his indiscretions will be judged as different than. Yeah, I, I also think. Oh no! I also think oh no! Fisher, it sounds like you're well, making apologies Camille, Camille, for culture. But, no, no, but you have to. Making you, you have to be for. somebody who. I'm, a, I'm, I'm only an observer reading the tea leaves and observing things that are already being discussed. But you don't I, care about women. I had the same I conversation care. with a bunch Three of daughters. comics <laughs> at 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 the Comedy Cellar, who who thought that Lou is going to come back rather soon. But the thing is, you also to say that it's not going to happen, you think that we are stuck in the mire of this moment and culture, mm. I think it might cycle out in some ways. Maybe. And the, 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 you know, the Harvey People Weinstein will never will and they never should because Maybe. he's a fucking monster. But like somebody like Louis, I don't know. I mean, it's like... How is Paul do, Manafort uh, in, in Solitary and Harvey Weinstein is just walking? <laughs> well, Paul, Paul Manafort's in the Paul Sorvino Solitary. Razor blade garlic. So I'm usually giving you optimism. I want to I wanna say something else here. This is not... Pessimism just I just think it's true um, that that better future that you talk about this this notion that this might burn itself out or jump yeah. the shark yeah. um, is certainly not guaranteed. No, um, it is entirely possible that this becomes the new normal that it becomes calcified and that we sure sort of yeah. further we further retreat into this horrible vicious yes. self destructive cycle of destroying people for saying dangerous things whether or not they meant them in a dangerous way whether or not even anyone even thinks they meant them in a dangerous way and it's indicative of a broader yeah. sense of that we can destroy each other yeah. for these idiotic fake transgressions. Can, can I say th something about this which is that there's a South Park episode. We should get out of here soon. We should get out of here soon. But a South Park episode in which it's um what is that? They do the sort of gentrification of the town. Oh, yes, uh -huh. yes. Uh, uh, so, no mode. Soto, yeah, yeah. Soto, 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 Soto Sopa. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a great, like, PC bit, and there's two, like, hillbilly farmers that are leaning, leaning on their fence. And the guy says, well, you know, this happens about every 20 years, and then it burns itself out. And, like, referencing, like, the way this was when I was in college in the uh -huh. early 90s, the difference is, I wish that were true, and I hope it were true. Unfortunately, I think you might be right. And the reason I think you might be right is that they didn't have the support of so many people in the mainstream mm -hmm. that as they do now. Mm -hmm. It's like... You know, you know, this the pylons you get on Twitter is like a half of it or a quarter of it. It's just like being in any publication and trying to like, I mean, look, we it was in our notes tonight that the woman from Business Insider who wrote this kind of tedious, boring column and got fired for it or no, she quit. She quit over it. And she didn't even have a quit job. Over it. She quit over it being retracted. Retracted. It, she didn't it, even it, have a job, though. She, yeah, but, she, but, she, but no, but, but like it doesn't. But the thing that the point being is that it is disturbing that that piece, which was kind of a banal, boring piece, sure. was memory hold and thrown thrown away. It's like that didn't happen when in the early 90s. It did not happen. There was like John Leo columns. Nobody cared. Right. It is different now. So the one thing I want to finish on, right, mm. because we didn't get to it. We did not get to this, Camille. Mm. We talked about this. We did not get to this. I'm sorry. I am drunk, by the way. <laughs> I am not wearing pants. It's a question for Ben 
the Puerto Rican Dominic. <laughs> he's not Puerto Rican, by the way. He's from Mississippi. It's all the, like, all the yeah. same thing. Seriously. Fa my uh, father is Puerto Rican. No, he's not. Uh, I met your father. He's from Norway. Uh, <laughs> so Definitely funny. not a shithole. Oh, my God. He's from Trondheim. Um, the question is this, and this is something that we're going to leave on, and I want Ben to be backed into a corner mm. and feel uncomfortable about this. Oh my God. It is about the Federalist. Uh -oh. And here is the question I have. It's a broad question. It's not, Who it's funds not, the Federalist? Yeah, yes, it's t-shirts. <laughs> I, I have a tattoo on the back of my neck. There is I, no yeah. more stupid campaign. I could give <laughs> two internet. fucks. I could care less. <laughs> the question is, Ben, and it's not about any specific piece that's sure. ever been run. The Federalist engenders a hatred and a sort of like fulmination from people online that I haven't seen in many publications, right? So there's a number of pieces that people point to, headlines that people point to uh, that say the Federalist is this kind of area of the internet in which, you know, these knuckle-dragging right-wingers say yes. all these awful things. So Ben, I, if I read The Federalist here and there, I'm a very busy man, I love you, but I, I, I try my best. Maybe the trend- That's all right, I, 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 yeah. I, get, I get about half of your vice yeah. things. Yeah, no, <laughs> if you get a quarter, you're doing too much. Um, if, I, have to, I have to subscribe to the transom. Uh, then I get my Ben fill for the day. But why is this that you, in your publication, is considered, you know, kind of just slightly sub Richard Spencer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, so first off, do. first off, when it comes to who funds the Federalist, I'm, I've answered this in so many different forums. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I no longer do, but the reality is that, um, I uh, have been running my newsletter, the transom for many years. I had a, a couple of different people approach me sort of trying to buy it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oh, hey, there's something making money on the Internet. We want to buy that. We want yeah. to turn that into something else. And instead, I pitched them this idea. I didn't know Paul and Nalen had that kind of money. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I, instead, I pitched them this idea that sort of said, you know, let, you know, I think. And the idea was essentially this. Um, uh, I think National Review is a great place. I was an intern there. I, I think that it was built to win the Cold War. Hmm. Um, and that the ideas that came out of National Review flowed into... Uh, the Reagan administration and had great benefit. And then I think no more Willie Schlam. And right? then I think that the Weekly Standard um, had ideas that were designed to figure out what came after you won the yeah. Cold War, and those ideas flowed for good and for ill. I would argue mostly for ill into the George W. Bush administration. Um, and then I think that we are basically set in a way, particularly post twenty twelve, where we were looking at a right of center media that was fragmented and that didn't really have a clear guiding mm. sort of publication that would address what I believe is the greatest issue affecting us right now, which is the culture war, um, which I think is constant, which is ever present, which is toxic and which needs engagement. Um, and uh, additionally to this was an element that I found to be a big problem with legacy media on the right, which is that these publications are overwhelmingly staffed by white men over the age of 40. Um, and no offense, but I believe that women are actually more powerful than men. So your publication is staffed by white men under the age of 40. <laughs> no, actually we're, we're a majority female publication. We're, um, we are a quarter minority. We have, uh, Jews, atheists, Christians, Lutherans, Catholics, and a bunch of other people who write for us. 
Um, we have a full time staff. Any Seventh Day Adventists? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. do not have a Seventh Day Adventist yet. Ben, I understand. I say yet, but wait, wait, no, no, no. no, 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 no I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, sorry. Just, I, I didn't mean no, no. to. No, no. I'm sorry. So, 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 so the point just being yeah. is, we wanted to create a publication that would engage with the culture and that would do so in sort of an aggressive manner, yeah. and and would, in particular, empower young women to engage with this. We have of of the people who've been on staff, only one of them had ever been on TV before I hired them, and now half of them are See on Molly on all the time, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and contributors yeah. and that kind of thing. Sure, um, you know, we we engender this this very radical and aggressive response, and that's fine. Some of that I think is manufactured because I think we have a couple of leading lights who are. Uh, very defensive of President Trump and very antagonistic when it comes to Fusion GPS. I do not think that is an accident. The The irony is that like what actually gets attention from what we do are these culture articles and, and things like that. You know, I mean, we had a piece the other day from a young woman who's a sommelier here in, in New York City about the $15 minimum wage, excoriating it. And it just went bonkers. I mean, it was yeah. all over the place. And we had, that's somebody who, by the way, brings you wine. It's not, it's not somebody from a country in Africa. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, yeah. she had that there were a million people on that article and, and that's the sort of thing yeah. that, you know, I, what I'm really about is sort of promoting these various, uh, people who weren't having a voice before we engender this kind of negative response, I think, because we ruffle a lot of feathers. We get up under a lot of skins. I do think that we occasionally have takes t that are a little too hot. Tell me something that you've published that you regret. Uh, that's a good question. We've only retracted, I think, two articles. Not retracted, but regretted and come. You said, you know what? I, I, we shouldn't have published that. We'll keep it up, but we shouldn't have published that. How about anything you've edited? Any See, I'm, I'm not an editor. I'm the. Publisher. I was going to say, there's like a difference between yeah, the role I, of the I publisher. Yeah, I actually, I actually handle yeah. the business side, so I do. But, look, sure. As, but, are you are you aware of any of this? Yes, I am. I am. But so, as the publisher, as somebody who's looking at the, numbers, I'm not. I do not regret the piece criticizing Anthony. Oh yeah. You know, By the way, nobody. Which, which, I don't think that was that you 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 talked about it in the intro, and then you never talked about it. No, well, well I if, and quite frankly, I what I what I did because I was God Mike that night. Um, what I what I did was jump in and say that didn't come from Ben. That that was an. I heard an, that. An, no, I appreciated an, an, an that. I didn't piece. say anything negative about. No, it. no, <laughs> and, and I know you guys print a lot of things, and I, I'm happy to uh, accept. Uh, when, when you're running, when you're uh, running twenty five pieces a day. That's what I'm saying. You know, that, that, that was exactly actually. But, but, if that was exactly what my what I believed was that you you put out a lot of. Things. I was that, that was not a personal critique. No, I, but, didn't, <laughs> I didn't take it. Such a, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I I mean, like if you go back, and we don't have to go back to Alcove One and Alcove Two of like mm -hmm. people sort of interview. You know, we fighting. published. Uh, we, uh, what, here's a good example. Is, but what is the thing that you that uh, you, you don't have to be the editor of it? You don't have to approve this. But you are the person we who published, is the upfront person. We published the, two articles defending Roy Moore, hmm. and yeah. and. And I felt like we needed to publish at least one article defending more and more because yeah. there was the, a sizable Why? because there was a sizable amount of I think conservative opinion in, in Alabama at the time mm -hmm. that was in support of him, and so I felt like there was a need to say what do these people believe? But there's a sizable amount of people that believe a lot of bad, stupid well, things. Do you have to publish everything that somebody might agree hey, with? Uh, look, I have an employee who I published twice defending Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. I completely disagree with him. Yeah. He's still an employee. Yeah. He's an objectivist atheist. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. and I love him. I mean, he's one of our great writers. Yeah. But it's one of the things that I, I sort of look at it and say, 
is this opinion valuable enough to be represented? But is it is there some difference between a, an organization that defends a practice that you find abhorrent that over 50 percent of the population population doesn't versus somebody who's been credibly accused of molesting young children? You know, I guess the way that I would put it is this. I think that when I look at something like that Frank Luntz survey of yeah. the Roy Moore voters, yeah. I think of that as very... Yeah, that was that was our show, yeah. 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 I, like, I looked at that, I watched that, and I said, look, there, there has to be some serious person mm-hmm. sure. among these people who yep. believes this. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe it. Yeah, I, sure. I mean, I would have not voted in that election, frankly, or I would have gone and done what I did in 2016, which is right in the rock. But the, the but the but the point simply two legs like yeah now he wouldn't because of the paraplegic yeah yeah no, sorry, the paraplegic sorry. thing He's that's very a upset about this no, but but here's but, cancel no I want I want to address your I yeah I think your your question is serious which is sort of what is a publication for mm. within these instances and you know I, I the way that I kind of approach it is these other publications look I was a contributor to the National Review against Trump cover. And I don't regret that at all. I think if you go back and you read what I wrote, I think it stands up very well, which is I said, I very much doubt Donald Trump's uh, uh, willingness to acknowledge the existence of the Constitution and to respect it. Mm. And that is the end of my question about whether I could vote for him or not. Awareness but, of the Constitution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah. But then after that, I say, but his voters actually have a point. Yeah. They have a point that should be acknowledged by the rest of these people. And I would argue that you can read me and you can read Yuval Levin in that in that collection and that ours are the ones that stand up the most. Uh, the rest of them, I thought, were very disrespectful to Trump voters and just did not acknowledge any of their sort of objections as being at all fair. Mm. Uh, sorry, sorry, you felt the National Review critiques were disrespectful of Trump voters? Mona Sharon in particular. Uh, I just thought that it was just sort of... Yeah, I, you know, I, I will say that I've said this on the show before, and there's one thing that I've said um, in the past couple of years publicly when I was on Bill Maher's show, in which I um, said that the people voting for this man were stupid. Um, I don't know that I would say that again today, and and so the let me... reason the reason I wouldn't is because I have had um, so many interactions with uh, and shooting so many pieces since then in kind of Trumpville. I mean, I was in a a county in Missouri last week that voted 82% for Trump and talked to probably 82% of the people that lived there from the time that I was there, every one of whom I had an amazing time with and were really generous and super nice. And I would, you know, niceness doesn't change my idea about, about their politics. But I did get a, and I've, I've, this has been happening very consistently. I get a greater understanding and I do regret that. I re- do regret being so flippant about it and so, saying these people are, so let are, me, are, are knuckle draggers. Let me, let me find common cause with you in this because yeah. Look, I, I am an extremist. I'm not going to be quiet. I mean, I have very extreme views and I don't pretend that they aren't extreme views. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not just when it comes to libertarianism and the size of government mm-hmm. and the ability of people to own and nuclear Tibet weapons or sell cocaine to <laughs> infants or yeah. something like that. I like but, what you I like what you talk about. But but also yeah, I like but look, 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 I am I am in cocaine. favor I'm in favor of <laughs> your yeah, ability baby. to to 
buy your guns, hoard your gold, educate your children, mm. sell your raw milk, mm. grow your pot, mm. uh, uh, you know, marry, marry whoever you want, friend Mike, marry whoever Rick. you want, uh, and 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 refuse come to bake together cakes. as as a you know freely associating group of people to decide how much hookers and blow and gambling you want in your neighborhood. Sure, now, I'm getting and emotional. Then, damn, good. And we can all See, like decide this. where we want to live. <laughs> so yeah, that's my perspective. However. You know, my my father is a he is a a Christian conservative. Um, he liked Pat Buchanan a lot on the McLaughlin group. Really? Uh, he was he was John. Let me tell you, Reagan voter. <laughs> this? Uh, he was chopping. He was he was an H. W. Bush voter. Uh, he was a Dole voter. He was a Bush voter. He was a McCain voter. He was a Romney voter. And he was a Trump. Ben, you know, you're now, supposed to rebel against your parents. <laughs> no, no, no. But see, but see, this is the thing. Uh-huh. Um, in each case, I think what he would say to you as, you know, one of the most honorable, actually the most honorable man that I know and a guy who has, you know, uh, been through a lot in his life. I think he would say voting is not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about your ideal vision of the country. It's about a pragmatic choice between a binary. Of these are the two things. And I think that that's representative of a lot of Trump voters. And I respect it because I think that that's not irrational on their part. Um, what we tr really try to do at The Federalist, I think, is chart a path forward that is engaging in the culture, that involves all of these different young, diverse, and, and female voices, and that engages in this uh, in these issues in a more serious way than I think a lot of the old guard publications really have. And I think that they need to respect that. You know, I'm not, look, I think women control the future anyway. They just give us kind of this illusion that we control the present. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, more than- They've been tr controlling my present for about three years now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but- Fucking more, assholes. But... <laughs> <laughs> not as a gender, I'm talking about the individual. Which individual? I don't know, I'll talk to you about it off, off, off mic. Hey, we've, hey, we've all had- Yeah. Exes, oh, Michael. Jesus. Psychos. Hey, I, I only have, <laughs> I only have a, a restraining order against one person. So anyway, um, but the point being, the point being that that is a much of what I've tried to achieve. Mm. I think it is what we've uh, achieved. I think it is why we are relevant. We attract a certain level of hate for a lot of different reasons, but I'm happy with what we're doing. I'm happy with where we're going. And I think unlike some of these, you know, old guard publications, yeah. we're still going to be around and relevant. And so to my question, um, that the, you know, you gave me an answer and I want to just circle back on it is that you do regret publishing, you regret that it existed on, on the Federalist, these royal uh, I'm, I might just, I might You just, wouldn't have made that decision yourself. Uh, no, no, I think I might just half it. I think I would still publish one. But there was one you wouldn't. I, I'd, I'd need to go back and look at the pieces. It's well, but it's enough that it sticks in your head that you remember. Well, right? I, I just think, I think we needed we needed at least one piece that would make the case, the serious case for mm -hmm. a conservative in Alabama trying to evaluate why they would vote for Roy Moore. I certainly wouldn't, but yeah. I think that I think that that is a representative case. But why does that other piece? Damn it, linger Winnie, in we got to get out of here. No, we do, we, we do. But but we, we, you know, by the way, we've been on for two weeks, so we get this is a double that's episode. True. That's true. This is like Sergeant Pepper. It's <laughs> but why? Why it's is the it, out. But why? Why? Why does that that piece that one linger in your mind? What is it? Is there a sentence? Is there an instinct? That, no, I'm I'm sorry. No. It's it's too. 
it's too far gone for me. It's too far to gone. Cite it. But you do remember it. Well, you you, you put me yeah. you put me into the bind of sort of saying, yeah. what is one thing that you would cut out? Sure. And, and or, or a dozen. Really, I, well, it's more just like I mean, if I could go back and take back ninety percent of the things I've written, I would do it. So really, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. See, I'm the opposite. Yeah. I, I go yeah. back and I look at old transoms, and I'm like. Damn, I was a much better writer then. But, hmm. but you know what you are? You know what you are? You're Lauren Hutton. You're a model that looks back and says, God, I was much better looking 20 years ago. Of course you were. For me, I mean, my ev my political evolution or devolution. What, what would you like, take back? What article would you um, Stuff that I wrote about Iraq in, in the, in the really? 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. Were you wrong? Oh, I was, I was not, so, even, so I, was, I, was, I wasn't wrong. So, I was colossally so wrong. So I was opposed to the war, but for yeah. the wrong reason. Ah, yeah. So I never like, yeah. like yeah. pound my chest over it because yeah. I thought Saddam did have weapons of mass sure, destruction sure. and that he would spill them out all over the place. He would yeah. kill a bunch of Israelis. Yeah. It would be a disaster. Yeah. And that that was why we shouldn't go in there, you know? And it, you, but you said something and we can, I know I was, I was agreeing. Uh, yeah. I was agreeing with no, like Michael Ledeen. No, you, that kind you of exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you said something that is really, really uh, interesting is that, you know, um, people who's, who were part of the Maoist international movement, and then they say, I was right about Iraq. It's like, you know what? Actually, you weren't. <laughs> you were right for the wrong reasons. But for me... I, I do have evidence of that, by the way. I have the post. Oh, God. I have... I, I, by the way, I wrote something that Glenn Greenwald found about eight years. Like, he's been very generous to me since. Glenn but, Greenwald, by the way, used my server at one point to, like, host photos or files or something oh, yeah it's really? just like he was like his server got cut off and he was like i can't host anything i was like oh do you want to just use my free one here <laughs> guys at some point we need to make this bonus content yeah this is bonus uh, content. Yeah, no so the final yeah, the final thing that, that, that you know greenwald found something that i wrote that you know i'm probably horribly embarrassed by today but this is a guy who incidentally the first post that he ever wrote as a blogger was an anti-immigration post and that said you know what we have borders for a reason we have laws for a reason if we don't have was, borders we don't have a country yeah well, I mean, that was basically. Wait, wait, wait! You know that when you know that when my wife said that on ABC, uh -huh. what happened? No. Okay, so so this is this is a week and a half ago. Your wife is Megan McCain, by the way, for those who don't know. Yeah. So a week and a wait, half. Wait, the Megan McCain? No, a different one. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> so a week and a half ago, and and by the way, I just have to say that there's this whole bizarre Twitter sort of conspiracy of like. Ben is feeding her talking points through an earpiece. Sexist. Like that, that is that is aggressively which sexist. Is, which is aggressively sexist, but also does not fit in my schedule at all. So I don't, don't have I don't know what's going on in the view I'm too until busy I come to... until I come out of the studio and I look at Mediaite and then like, yeah. oh, something happened. I'm too busy so, to be sexy. Yeah, so exactly. So but uh, she was responding to some of these border crises things by saying, hey, look. I'm in favor of comprehensive immigration reform. I'm in favor of a DACA solution. I'm in favor of something, you know, figuring out everything when it comes to these children and all this stuff like that. And I'm very, you know, you know, sort of modern and all these things. But a nation without borders is not a nation. Mm. Yeah. And the explosion yeah. of screams and yelling from mm -hmm. the in-studio crowd and from the online crowd. Uh -huh. yeah was over the top and insane. Yeah. It was just, you know, completely, you know, whacked out of their gourds. And, yeah. and to me, that's reflective of how terrible 
our immigration conversation really yeah. is. Uh-huh. Because it's not it's not a terribly controversial point. Because border enforcement is the basis for a conversation. It's literally everything that happens in Europe, right. in the yes. in, in, in the Balkans, yeah, yeah. In, in Crimea. It's all about borders. Come yeah. on, it's not, it's I, I actually have been talking to uh, Alex Narasta at Cato about yeah. possibly Alex. doing something together where we like he and I, because we're both like radical. Well, I am radical in terms of my preferences on immigration. I think he's generally more permissive with respect to immigration and wants more people to come. Mm-hmm. But I want us to do like the best version of the Trumpian restrictivist argument. The one that cannot be confused with being a, a, a racist cabal you or do? conspiracy. I want to I want to articulate the best case so, for their position wow, and I want to totally I wanna, surprises me. and I want to articulate the yeah. limitations of my own perspective in the places where it gets into trouble. So here is what I want to do. I want to connect you with John Davidson who is our senior correspondent, lives in Texas, has been to the border for us three times, hmm. done video, done ride alongs, done helicopter stuff with all the border patrol. Hmm. Um and and what John will tell you is the cartels control the border. They control, they control who comes across and where. And we have to end that. And what that's going to require is a lot of Drug things. legalization. Is a lot of things. <laughs> well, you know, the irony of this whole situation uh-huh. is, <laughs> the irony of this whole situation As is, we enter hour three. We. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is the we, sorrow and the, the pity. The legalization <laughs> of drugs in America, uh-huh. which is a great thing and which I'm totally in favor of, mm-hmm. despite the fact that I am at 36, someone who has never used pot. Uh, I I would I would say yeah I'm totally um, I think I did coke last week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We've so, killed a bottle of whiskey. So, so, so Ben's not that much of a prude. <laughs> so, the uh, the irony is, we we legalized it. America started growing way better qualities of it. And the Mexican cartels lost their business yeah. for all of this shitty pot that they were selling to people. Mm. And they had to make it up. And the way that they made it up was, is with basically human trafficking and controlling the border and having all these people pay them money to get across. To make it easy for respectable human beings to come to this country and make a life for themselves. Yeah. yeah. No, we I'm, just should. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. stupid that we don't. Yeah. Why don't we, do, why don't we end on this and just say that um, Ben Dominich, who, by the way, has this sort of fantastic radio voice, mm-hmm. this sort of basa profundo. Only of, thanks to Vice. I mean, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listen to it, and he's talking, you know, to, to quote an old quote from uh, Boris Johnson, it's the inverted pyramid of piffle sometimes, <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> I, walk, I walk down the street getting these sensations in mm. my pants mm. because of this yeah, unbelievably sort of fantastic yeah. uh, voice. You should absolutely listen mm-hmm. to the Federalist Radio Hour, which I think is syndicated on radio, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah. It's not just a podcast, it right? It's syndicated. It's also on podcast one. But it's yeah. a podcast in the, the, the discussions are smart and serious. The guests are fantastic. And if you want to see, I'll tell, I'll say this. If you want to see Ben push back on somebody, and if you think that Ben is some sort of, you know, kind of automaton Republican because his father's a Christian conservative, you are wrong, comrade. And I'll give you one example of that. Listen to Ben talking to Heather McDonald and you will listen to somebody punching, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fight. It's a good fight. And uh, that was, that was, you know, beyond the fact that he's this fantastic voice, that was the, the, the episode I listened to. I remember where I was listening to it. 
Where were I said, you? I was in, um, I was on Keep Avenue. You were in a Speedo. No, I was, on, I was on Keep Street in Brooklyn. <laughs> and I was like, this is fucking great. And you were doing battles, a fantastic battle. So I recommend all of our uh, listeners, send us booze, send us money, send us crypto, and also subscribe to The Transit. And listen to the Federalist Radio Hour because it's one of my favorite podcasts. It's so fucking good. And we are unbelievably overjoyed uh, that you came to join us tonight, Ben. Thank you so oh, much. I will Glad we can make you, it work. I'll yeah. pay you right after. Yeah, yeah you, you owe me a vodka yeah, I see soda. A, I see ones Because I'm already wasted, but I want a vodka soda before I puke tonight. I have Absolutely. to be in I have to be in at an edit at 9 a.m. So Dear fuck God. all y'all. I have all to right. interview Barry Weiss at 9 a.m. Oh, Barry, she's my old friend. When you see editor. her, when you see her, can you ask her why she why she doesn't respond to my emails? Like I keep having conversations with people, and they'll say, um, "Oh, you Barry said such nice things about you." I don't respond to my emails. That's yeah, in that, I, in that I, actually, I actually. So racist. when you talk to her, could you do it? That I will, way? and we'll also <laughs> talk about how we're worried about morning end. Yeah, that's, we always do. <laughs> I love Barry. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you guys. Yeah. Double edition. Peter Frampton. Frampton yeah, comes you know, alive. You know, we, we, we were off two weeks, so we owed you this one. Yeah. And we yeah, suffered man. dearly for it. Yeah. So I yeah, hope you all appreciate yeah. it. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth